This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here. Your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. It's Monday. And, you know, you won't believe it. Donald Trump, you know, the center, the centerpiece of the Democratic, uh, what do they call it, town hall last night. Yes. Two nights ago. Was it last night? Was it? I couldn't tell. I kept, I turned over, I'm like, are they replaying this? Is this real? What is the, yeah, Donald's, um, he's stirring the pot in a way that, I mean. It was, it was a weekend of. Trump doing things, people reacting to it. Trump mania. People at news gathering sites quitting over certain situations. Oh, really? I didn't hear about that. You ever go to Breitbart? Yeah. People the, are quitting at Breitbart? They had a, a reporter who was covering the Trump campaign, and she uh, went to ask a question at some point, and the campaign manager allegedly grabbed her by the wrist, yeah, pulled her to the ground. She, she had pictures online of bruising. I didn't really see much but that was a while ago right that was that that was last week middle late last week and then over the weekend uh just i was just reading her and that that reporter and an editor from breitbart both quit by the way breitbart hasn't responded oh to the their accusations of what happened the way they responded breitbart is uh they put out uh, in some internal communications their editors have told everyone at breitbart not to talk about What's going on? Don't bring it up. Don't bring it up. Don't retweet things because when you retweet something, then another reporter has to answer about it. And what it comes down to, and, and they, they talk about it in the communications, as they do this, there's the whole war on women concept. Right. Which plays right. into what the Democrats want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So Breitbart, which is a conservative news gathering yeah. organization, they want to support the conservative side. If you start talking about one of our reporters being grabbed and pulled away that plays into the women under attack concept so we can't talk about this too much because it's not going to work for our political <laughs> ends so yeah it's all messed the up. tangled web it's um it really is messed up and it's but there's that and then you have the stuff with the protests well and, and chicago cancels a rally and then trump gets stormed play clip one That's in the Chicago stadium. Is it really? They're all chanting, we stop Trump. And then at one point, they're, one ch- they're chanting Bernie, and the other side's chanting Trump. And oh, just, interesting. Oh, it turns into a mess. But, but Then it gets canceled. Well, and Trump's saying, Trump is saying that Bernie needs to talk to his people. His people are out of control. ...by these other people. These other people, by the way, some represented Bernie, our communist friend. Our communist friend. <laughs> Now, really, Bernie should tell his people there weren't too many Hillary people there. You know why? I mean, in all fairness to Bernie, the reason there weren't Hillary people, they had no fervor. There's no fervor. Say what you want about Bernie. At least have a little bit of fervor, right? But with Bernie, so he should really get up and say to his people, stop, stop. Not me, stop. They said, Mr. Trump should get up and this morning tell his people to be nice. My people are nice, folks. Yeah, we are your people. They start cheering. But Bernie's now, and Bernie's like saying, hey, 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 it's not me doing this. That Donald Trump is literally inciting violence 
with his supporters. He is saying, if you go out and beat somebody up, that's okay. I'll pay the legal fees. That is an outrage. Is he saying that? I would hope that Mr. Trump tones it down big time and tells his supporters that violence is not acceptable in the American political process. Yesterday on NBC, uh, they asked, will you pay the legal fees? Because he has said that in the past, that he'll pay the legal fees, go attack that guy. He said that at several campaign stops. And he says his people are looking into it. Now, this is the guy that sucker punched, another guy that was a protester being let out. Right. And it was a 70-year-old man just stepped up and punched the guy in the face. And then they talked to him later, and he goes, we don't know if he's an American. He could be ISIS. We don't know. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, it's this whole layered web of weird. Uh. So Trump's people are, quote, looking into it. Yeah. Bernie overstated that. But Bernie also is sure that, um, that Trump's not going to win. The American people are not going to elect a president who is insulting Mexicans, Muslims, women, veterans, insulting virtually everybody who is not quite like Donald Trump. Thank God most people are not quite like Donald Trump. Hmm. There you go. Wow. He has faith that the American people won't elect that guy. Yeah. Well, you know, he's doing pretty well. So there are a lot of people that are angry. In fact, uh, here, here's what Trump says uh, why they're angry. Well, I haven't said anything that I'm just expressing my opinion. What have I said that's wrong? I mean, I talk about illegal immigration. I talk about building a wall. I say Mexico's going to pay for the wall, which they will. Okay. And all of these things. I mean, what have I said that's wrong? You tell me. The all fact right. is they're really upset with the way our country is being run. They're mad. People are mad. They're, the, in fact, did you see the guy rush the podium? Yes. That was incredible. I mean, very rarely do you get to see Secret Service in action like May, that. It kind of by watching it several times, the Secret Service was a little slow on that. Well, sure. But, you know, it was just for me, it's neat to see that Donald Trump has some fast twitch muscles. Did he almost knocked that? over that yeah, uh, the podium, the podium he was standing at. Yeah, and, and the guy that rushed the stage it now has been, been by the way, uh, affiliated by Donald with um, being a member of ISIS or somehow being related to ISIS. There was a video with the guy's picture and then ISIS flags and some music, and <laughs> it was later found to be doctored. The guy is a protester. He is someone that goes out to provoke a reaction but he's not isis well so so but but it's isis right he's isis because there was a video there was a video but the video i guess they found it on the internet was it a hoax that he's dragging the flag was that him it looked like the same man to me he was dragging a flag along the ground and he was playing a certain type of music and supposedly there was chatter about ISIS. Now, I don't know. What do I know about it? All I know is what's on the Internet. And I don't like to see a man dragging the American flag along the ground in a mocking fashion. Hold it. So there were videos. The guy has videos where he drags the flag on the ground. He has a video where he walks out, lays the flag out nice and straight and flat like mm-hmm. a blanket and then stands on it. He's trying to provoke reaction from people. Th- th- this guy that rushed him yes, did this. the protester. He has other videos that's, online that's where all he's he done this. So Donald's like, that's all I know is what's on the internet. Then somebody put up a video of him with some ISIS flags, and so Trump saw that and retweeted it. Hmm. Uh, uh, NBC was able to uh, find out that the, the video was fake, and so they asked Mr. Trump, they said, so the video's fake. 
And then you retweet it. Are you, I mean, do you acknowledge this is fake? And he goes, I don't know. I saw him dragging a flag around, and then there's some music. So what I know is on the internet. He's ISIS, I get. You know, and so he it he he denies. Yeah. Any uh, fault? Just saying it's on the internet. I just put what what's on the internet. I put that back out there. It's not my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make it. Unbelievable. But then you know, Donald wasn't afraid. He could have taken the guy. He's basically said, I, could, I would have taken him. I mean, I'm glad I let the cops do their job, but I would have taken him. He said that right afterwards. But as I was saying, there was some discussion I saw that Secret Service seemed to be a step behind on that. So it's like, did they hesitate? Did they go, ah, nah, let him have him. Let him take a hit. Ah, oh, well, we'll get, we'll get we him. We got him. Oh, that's incredible. But there were two video shots. One was kind of low, mm-hmm. like you normally see Trump. And you couldn't really see what was going on. Then there, someone had a higher vantage point. You see this guy just barreling down from the behind. Yeah. He he, I, he got to the the stand and touched it. And I just, CNN interviewed the know. guy, and, and they said, "So, what were you going to hit him? What were you going to do?" And he's like, "No, I was just wanted to take his podium away. He's a bully. I was just going to rip his podium away." Oh, okay. He was going to Black Lives Matter him, yeah, like they did to Bernie Sanders yeah. back in November. See, so it's 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 the exact same thing. It's the same thing that Bernie's going through, Donald's going through. I did see an interesting column that talked about we have Donald Trump who's trying to fight back against any kind of disruption by saying, you know, let's remove him, let's fight, let's get a stretcher, those types of comments. Then you have protesters who come in and try to occupy space. Right. They come in and just stand there. And you get two different forces working together, and there's a lot of tension. There's going to be violence. That was two weeks ago, and then this happens over the weekend. And it's – I don't know if if this is the flare and it stops hmm. or does it get worse. Yeah, do you think this helps, I Donald? I mean, who does this help? After the, after the groups were able to stop him in Chicago, they feel like they can replicate this across the country. And uh, a couple other – I mean, Cincinnati, I think, was canceled over the weekend. So there's yeah. just been some other efforts to try to slow him down. I think Cruz, Cruz is pretty much sure that this is Donald. Donald's got to fix this. At the end of the day, in any campaign, responsibility starts at the top. And it is not beneficial when you have a presidential candidate like Donald Trump telling his supporters, punch that guy in the face. <laughs> That's a great point. <laughs> you just shouldn't be saying, punch that guy in the face. Plus, people are mad and opposition wants to incite problems because then they get seen. I mean, any any anti anything ought to show up at a Trump rally because you're going to get heard. You're going to get airtime. Unbelievable. It looked like, uh, by the way, that that event was really moist. A lot of moisture. Donald was sweating pretty bad. Where at? Oh, the the one where the guy. Dayton, Ohio. yeah. Yeah. Super humid there. Super hot. <laughs> hey, by the way, today's National Workplace Napping Day. I thought you'd be in support My of this day. favorite day of the year. It's in uh, support of the first Monday after Daylight Savings. Man. It, was, it really throws people off for some yeah, reason. I'm kind of mad about it. Instead of just waking up, looking at the clock and going, it's whatever time it is, move on with your life, people get hung up. But a- we lost an hour. Apparently, though, with Daylight Savings time, we save three-tenths of a, of a percent on energy costs. However, heart attacks go up by like 10 to 15 percent. Huh. I think I'm having one right this minute. It's it's pretty early and it's dark again. It is. It was starting to get light in the morning I mean, as we arrived. And- almost lost three BYU students today <laughs> just on my drive. 
We almost lost him. Or was it running around? Did you almost run him over or something? Well, I don't know. I'm not going to say that. I'm just going to say they're almost no longer on the earth. So, yes. Are they in critical critical condition no, right now? No, no, no. no BYU no. students were injured. They have not but become three a hood were ornament. almost injured. He's okay. They're coming out of the woodwork, too. Man! Hey, uh, let's get to the headlines. Terry, what's going on around the rest of the world we need to pay attention to? Thanks, Matt. Mitt Romney is planning to campaign with Republican presidential hopeful John Kasich on Monday at two uh, two stops in Ohio the day before the state's crucial primary. The 2012 Republican presidential nominee will appear with Kasich in North Canton and another event in Westerville, but is not expected to endorse the Ohio governor. Romney has urged Ohio voters to vote for Kasich in an effort to stop Donald Trump from securing the necessary delegates to claim the party's nomination outright. Romney has also urged Florida voters, who are also voting on Tuesday, to do the same for Senator Marco Rubio. The latest polling has Kasich up on Trump in Ohio, 36 to 33. Trump up in Florida, 41-23 over Marco Rubio. Hmm. So maybe in maybe in Ohio, not so much in Florida. Come on, Marco. Marco's not pulling Marco, his weight. Polo. During a town hall meeting on CNN Sunday night, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders talked about many issues, including how they would deal with Donald Trump in a general election. Clinton accused him of committing political arson, saying Trump has lit the fire, and then he throws up his hands and claims that he shouldn't be held responsible. Clinton went on to express her confidence that she would do everything she could to drain or derail the Trump train. I believe that I will have an opportunity to really focus in on how dangerous a Donald Trump presidency would be for our standing, for our safety, for the peace of the world. And I think we can we can be successful doing that. Currently, Clinton leads Sanders in Ohio 49-43 and Clinton doubles up Sanders in Florida 61-31. Huh. So again... Close in Ohio, not so much in Florida. Yeah. Florida, what are you doing? Authorities arrested two suspects after a police officer was shot and killed in an unprovoked attack outside a Prince George County police station in the Washington, D.C. suburbs of Maryland on Sunday. Police say the gunman opened fire at the first cop he saw as he approached the station and killed Ja'Kai Colson, 28, a four-year veteran and an undercover narcotics officer. A suspect was taken into custody in connection with the shooting within an hour, and a second suspect was later apprehended. Police initially shut down the stretch of State Route 202 near the Washington Beltway and advised residents to stay inside as they searched for mm. the suspects. Um, in case you missed this yesterday, the other thing that happened, the NCAA what? tournament brackets yes. are out. North Carolina, Kansas, Virginia, and Oregon are the one seeds. CBS bored America with a two-hour selection show, but the brackets were leaked on Twitter early on in the broadcast. Anyways, they were. St- I was so bored. Last year they did it in thirty minutes. Well, this year, it, but two it leaked hours. out, didn't it? Didn't yeah. it leak out? It was out. So <laughs> ha- they're into like the first half hour. I'm, I see it on Twitter. I'm saying, uh, okay, next, moving on. Yeah. So if you're interested, go fill out your brackets. Uh-huh. If you're not interested, be prepared to hear about them all week. Because oh, yeah. people are going to be All nuts month. in the office. And then two, Thursday is actually quite the spectacle. 16 games. They start about noon. Is it noon, this Tuesday? Thursday. Oh, Thursday. They oh. start about noon Eastern. They go to almost midnight. Wow. It's insane. So you've got uh, Super Tuesday the 3rd, the 3rd, 3. Yes. And you have uh, the sweet, or the the uh, March Madness starting on Thursday. This is a big week. Well, there's some playing games. If you want to watch people go to Dayton, Ohio, you, okay, and play to the right to be either a 16 seed or okay. something. Basically, they're going to play to get beat. Well, yeah, it's kind of how it works. Well, it's the way it should be. Yeah, or they can go to a Trump and just go to go to a Trump, you know, event and play to be beat too, or you know, 
I don't know. So uh, it, if you're not into it, office life might be a little difficult this week. It's a hard week. It's it's because I mean you got to get your bracket done, you got to get your nap in, you got to follow Super Tuesday, and of course you got to listen to the Matt Townsend show. I mean, come on. <sighs> so here's an interesting idea. Um, why do people get outraged and upset about the mistreatment of others? How how did humans evolve to that behavior? Well, joining us will be a, a Ph.D. candidate student from Yale University. Jillian Jordan will be joining us, talking to us about the evolution of moral outrage. I'll punish your bad behavior to make me look good. Maybe that's what's going on at all these political rallies. Stick with us, folks. We are talking about moral outrage. Where did it come from? Why is it here? And how does it serve the human race? We'll be right back. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You you know, we all know that one guy in the office who will do anything to be in the spotlight. Maybe it's that guy that calls everybody else out on their productivity. Or, you know, it could be when something goes on. You remember with the lion that was killed in Africa? Everybody was so outraged by it. And or any issue. It could be it could be what's going on with the Trump rallies. There's there's something that happens when People show moral outrage. You know, they get a little blurry sometimes. Why are they doing it? Are they doing it to promote their own issues? Are they doing it to look good? Are they doing it simply because they can't believe what's happening? Well, our next guest uh, joining us from Hartford, Connecticut, is Jillian Jordan. She's a Ph.D. candidate uh, in psychology at Yale University. And she recently wrote an article on Psychology Today, Evolution of Moral Outrage, I'll Punish Your Bad Behavior to Make Me Look Good, discusses the theory behind human morality and our motivations, uh, you know, in our drive for success. So we're so excited to have you. Jillian Jordan, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks so much. PhD candidate, you're almost there. You're almost there. (laughs) Hang on, Jillian. (laughs) Good to to have you here. So talk to us about, uh, first of all, how did you... How did you find this topic of uh, and, and get into the topic of the evolution of moral outrage? Um, well, I think that it's a really pervasive part of society around us that I find really interesting. So, yeah, you gave a bunch of great anecdotes of this kind of moral outrage. And I think that, you know, we see a lot of moral progress being driven by people's outrage. So, you know, I think whatever your personal politics are, it seems like when people achieve achieve progress, for example, making the the Supreme Court making gay marriage legal or something, it's often pushed by a lot of people feeling really outraged about what they perceive to be wrongdoing. And, right. Um, so I think this is clearly a really important part of society, and it's a really important part of, like, sort of what makes humans special. Like, there's not a lot of evidence that other animals really care when um, people besides themselves have been harmed. And mm. so... Um, I, I find that to be really interesting, and what we do in my research group is we sort of think about from the perspective of evolution and rational self-interest, which are sort of thought to be these selfish processes, like how is it possible that people do things that appear to be altruistic at face value, like paying personal costs to be a whistleblower or a protester or 
um, sort of risk alienating other people when you criticize them in the fight for moral progress. So mm. um, that's sort of how we came to this topic. It's an interesting topic. I mean, the idea, too, just of being a whistleblower, right? I mean, you're putting yourself yeah, out on the line, but you just can't take it anymore. Is I mean, I guess to me there's a difference between moral outrage maybe at its at the inception of the event or the topic and then the ones that eventually just stay outraged for the next 20 years fighting a That's movement true, yeah. you know i mean yeah definitely so but some people invest a lot more <laughs> talk to me talk to us about what you're learning about about what uh, what generates moral outrage i mean i'm if it's an evolutionary uh, process then it must have been some benefit i would assume to to show moral outrage right. or or they totally. it would never have happened yeah, definitely. So, I mean, um, our research is sort of interested in one particular benefit uh, to moral outrage, which is the idea that if you condemn and punish misbehavior, you're sort of able to broadcast and advertise to observers that you yourself wouldn't engage in that immoral behavior. And mm. that sort of makes them more likely to trust you um, not not to sort of screw them over. And so yeah. they're willing to invest in relationships with you and they can kind of pay off in the long run, even if it's in the short run, you um, sort of risk a lot of things uh, for doing the condemnation and punishment. It's interesting because it's almost, it seems like a very political move, right? So you're, you're risking a little bit, uh, but you right. also are supposedly, you know, engendering trust. Right, definitely. I mean, I think that um, that happens all the time, like in human social behavior. I mean, I think we're talking about one example of that with condemning and punishing moral wrongdoing, but I mean, that's also sort of how many evolutionary scientists think about why we do all sorts of nice acts. So, you know, you do a favor for your friend, you help them move, you um, help them with their schoolwork, and in the short term, it's sort of a drain on your time or resources or effort, but in the long run, they sort of are likely to help you. And this mm. is the sort of same theory, but applied to um, condemning and punishing wrongdoing as opposed to helping others. Right. And, and I guess, is it that is it that conscientious? Is that what you learned, is that we are kind of, we're consciously, uh, you know, doing this act today to get payment of benefit tomorrow versus... No, definitely I mean, not. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, I guess it's more yeah, gut so feel. I don't think we, make to, we mean to make any claims whatsoever about the extent to which this behavior is conscious um, because our research methods didn't really allow us to test that. Um, my intuition, just from being a person in the world, is like I definitely don't think this is typically conscious. I think most of the time people are really genuinely outraged. Um, their conscious experience is one of anger that something wrong has happened. Mm. But... If you consider, like, why we would come to feel anger, then that's where I think our theory comes in. It sort of helps explain why individuals who have this reaction of anger might sort of gain some long-run social advantage. Yeah. So is it uh, – you studied it more, I guess, in corporate life. Is that how you went about uh, people, like, people um, calling no, out? Actually, the example that I just used to illustrate the idea in the article you read, yeah. but – in terms of our actual research methods, we had a very abstract and sort of non-context specific method, which was we had people play these economic games online with strangers, which are basically, they make decisions about how to divide money. Mm. And so when we look at, you know, punishing misbehavior, what 
what we have is a situation where one person gets some money and they have the chance to share that money with somebody else who didn't start off with anything. And, you know, a lot of people share with some people don't. And then we ask a third person, if the person decided not to share, to selfishly keep all the money for themselves, are you willing to give up some of your own money to cause them to lose their money? Hmm. So our punishment decision is like, you know, giving up some of the money that you got in the experiment to make someone selfish lose the money they got in the experiment. <laughs> um, and what we do is we just like have now a totally new person who wasn't at all involved in the interaction I just described decide how trustworthy they think the person is who may or may not have punished. Um, and our basic result is they're sort of more willing to invest money in them with the assumption that they'll be willing to return that money if the person punished, suggesting that they infer that people who punish are sort of fair-minded and trustworthy. Mm. Isn't that interesting? And, um, yeah, definitely. And, and, and what I guess in the end, it's a... Uh... It's kind of a natural process, and and we don't when we don't sense somebody did something fair. It 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 angers us in some degree to mm-hmm. even want to spend money to stop them. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's not our result. That's actually people have been using the sort of first game I described for um, a couple decades in this field, and they consistently find that they find you know across cultures, across contexts, when people play this game. They're willing to give up some of their own money to make selfish people lose their money, which I think is really cool. Huh. And by doing that, I guess uh, one of the things in the article um, talks about, uh, it's, it ends up signaling by, by my act of, um, I guess, payment to stop a, a, a misdoer, it ends up signaling to others that I guess I have a moral advantage, that I'm morally exactly, stronger. Yeah. Right. And so they, they assume, you know, you will be fair to them. You wouldn't refuse to share. And so it's worth investing in a personal relationship with you because you're likely to be morally good. It's interesting, too. And I guess, too, what it says on a social level is that it, I, it, would, it would benefit society as we are punitive and punishing of those that aren't moral. Yeah, definitely. So, so everybody's um, on board. Like, yeah, let's let's... Let's put down the, 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 the misdoer. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that for the most part, it's a really good thing for society when, um, you know, misbehavior gets punished because in the same way that, you know, the criminal justice system and legal punishment deters people from committing crime, I think the fear of social repercussions deters people from being selfish. So, I mean, you can imagine a situation where someone gets, gets asked to give, you know, a, a colleague a ride to the airport or something, and they don't really want to do it because it takes a bunch of their time, but they know, you know, if everyone knows they refuse to do it, people are going to judge them negatively, they're going to refer to them as selfish hmm. or condemn them, and, like, this is going to have reputational repercussions for them, and so they're sort of deterred by that punishment, and they're like, okay, I'll, I'll agree to drive this person to the airport. So I think um, it definitely promotes good behavior in society if people know that if they behave badly, they will be punished. And yeah. being punished will be, you know, costly to them. Um, that said, I think that, like, you can get interesting cases where you get sort of an overreaction to um, a seemingly minor transgression. If every individual wants to sort of be on the record condemning or punishing that transgression, 
for the purpose of communicating to their friends and acquaintances that they are morally good, they're trustworthy, they wouldn't have done the transgression. But if every individual wants to do that, then you can kind of get an overreaction, especially when the Internet comes oh. into play, which is actually maybe you know more punishment than it really is optimal for society. So I think yeah. that's a sort of interesting consequence of this idea. Well, it's, uh, it's totally interesting. Yeah, this is a... I guess we may be outpacing our environment more. I mean, all of a sudden we can put it out on Facebook and absolutely destroy somebody for right. with a moral decision, and a, but not even a not even know all the facts, right? And then overwhelm right. it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Wow, interesting. Uh, let's take a break, Jillian. <laughs> We're speaking um, with Jillian Jordan from Yale University. She's a Ph.D. candidate that is talking about an article she wrote called Evolution of Moral Outrage. I'll punish your bad behavior to make me look good. There are extremes, aren't there? And uh, you may be seeing some of this going on in our political world today, believe it or not. You know, you may have a moral outrage against one of the candidates and spreading it, sharing it, and, and creating maybe an unbalanced view of things. We'll take a break, come back, continue our discussion with Jillian Jordan. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. everybody to the Matt Townsend show. Interesting subject today. We're talking about uh, the evolution of moral outrage. People benefit by being, you know, really strong about a moral issue. You know, how many times on YouTube, on um, how many times on Facebook, on Instagram, have you seen just some post that people just blow up? I can't believe you said that. And everyone jumps on board. Uh, joining us now is a researcher, Jillian Jordan, um, who is a Ph.D. candidate at Yale University in the Department of Psychology. She has been studying and done a study on uh, the evolution of moral outrage, also wrote an article on it. Uh, Jillian Jordan, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Hey, you wrote a really interesting, uh, or you were part of it, an op-ed, it looks like, in the New York Times, where you yeah. mentioned you mentioned this example of um, a woman named Justine Sacco, where mm-hmm. where people's moral outrage went a little bit too far. Tell us just just talk about that story a little bit and why why we need to be careful of our own moral outrage. Yeah, so I mean, this is a case of I think sort of a disproportionate response that results from a lot of individuals all feeling motivated to express their moral position. So um, the story of Justine Sacco is that she sort of wrote this uh, tweet before she went on a trip to Africa that some people interpreted as a racist comment. Um, She talked about how she was unlikely to get AIDS in Africa because she was white. Um, And other people sort of interpreted it as what she said it was, which was kind of an ironic joke about um, the sort of unfortunate disparity in... Yeah, the statistics, basically. Yeah. Right. But, you know, other people thought this is just like a rude comment making light of the suffering of others. And 
So she posted this tweet, and then she got on the flight, which was an 11-hour flight, and when she landed, it had just completely exploded. She was the number one worldwide trend on Twitter and getting all sorts of heat messages, people who are planning to, like, meet meet her at the airport to attack her when she got plane. I mean, not physically, uh, but... Yeah. Um, Protest, yeah. Right, and her life was, like, pretty much ruined just overnight um, after posting this tweet, and sort of whatever your perspective is on, you know, was this tweet racist? Maybe you think it definitely was. Um, it seems still like this is probably an overreaction to have your sort of reputation completely destroyed on the Internet with, mm. you know, thousands and thousands of people participating in condemning you. Um, certainly this isn't the kind of response this level of transgression would get if it just happened, you know, in daily life and mm-hmm. was observed only by a few people who were there when she said it. Um, so I think this is sort of an example of how on the Internet, when a ton of people can find out about somebody's moral transgression, then you just get a huge pool of people who all have an individual incentive to express to, you know, their Twitter followers or friends or acquaintances or whatever that they are not racist by condemning and punishing her behavior. Mm. And when you put that all together, you get this sort of seemingly crazy disproportionate response, um, which I think is really interesting because, you know, if people were punishing for the purpose of having the effect on her receiving a just sort of uh, response to her racism, like they just wanted to participate in getting justice served or whatever, then it seems like they would be very sensitive, oh, to the fact that, oh, already a lot of people have responded negatively to her. I don't need to further that. She's kind of already gotten the just punishment for what she did. But it seems like that's not really what's, at least um, unconsciously, like that's not really the incentive that people Mm -hmm. are responding to. They don't have an incentive to make sure she gets a just punishment. What they have an incentive to do is to communicate to the people around them that they're trustworthy and that they're not racist and that they're morally good. And so I think that can lead to these like really crazy outcomes. Well, and it, it almost seems like we will inevitably see more and more of this where most of these people had no idea who Justine Sacco was. Right. right. But the, she wrote the message to her friends that know her and would know. I mean, the other thing is she was going she was going to Africa for a reason anyway. And her friends would have known her friends would have known her. They most of them right. would have taken it in context. And then right, I guess right. it takes one person to be offended. And then now and then others. I, I, apparently she lost her job because yeah, of right. this. I mean, how does this where does this end? And. I mean, because we see it. We see so many people that are offended for so many reasons, and it seems like there there are good reasons to be offended, and then there are people that are just, you know, hangers-on that just want to ride the the moral train somewhere. Yeah, definitely. I think that's right. Man, does this—is there something we can do as a psychologist teach us? What, what do we do to make sure that we are not just— you know, ganging up and glomming on to people that are having a moral, you know, that are that are just on a moral, I don't know, witch hunt. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good just to think reflectively about, you know, your own moral outrage. And I mean, of course, I don't think it makes it wrong to be outraged right. to find out that, you know, perhaps it has this, um, like, it from an ultimate perspective, it sort of exists 
to benefit your reputation. I mean, I think, you know, the exact same thing can be said for why you help your friends. Like, from an ultimate perspective, this exists so you have a good reputation and your friends will help you in exchange. And, like, so in some ways this can be thought of as selfish. And, like, of course I wouldn't say, so that means it's bad to help your friends. Like, and, you know, by analogy, I don't think it's bad to express moral outrage, even though it may exist in part as a form of personal advertisement because, you know, I think this is an important part of who we are as humans. And as I said, I think it typically has a lot of positive consequences for society. So, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think what would be good is to sort of think reflectively about, you know, in a particular case, like, um, is my outrage going to do more good or more bad for the world? And like, perhaps in certain cases where there's already been a huge response and, you know, perhaps the intentions behind the transgression actually aren't that clear. Um, you know, maybe maybe it really wasn't that, that bad, but it was. it's clear that it's perceived by some people to be bad, and, you know, you can jump on this movement to um, punish someone, but, you know, upon reflection, perhaps that's not necessarily right. appropriate given what's already happened, and I think it's good to be reflective about that kind of thing um, and to just kind of think about you know, where your outrage is coming from and if you think it's actually going to do good for whatever goals you have. Do you sense, it seems like to me it could backfire too. If if you're the person, you know, you're the friend that's morally outraged about everything. And Mm -hmm. I mean, if if anybody sees you as too extreme where everything becomes a moral outrage, uh, it seems like it would backfire and you'd lose trust with people. That's true. Yeah, definitely. And so I think that... um, you know, for the most part, people are, are quite good at doing these types of trade-off calculations. Like, yeah. if I don't seem outraged at all, then people will think, you know, I don't I don't care about these issues, and then that makes me less trustworthy. But also, if I get too angry and belligerent about everything, then people will sort of want to just stay away from me because I seem too judgmental or unstable or unforgiving. And so, you know, I mean, of course, nobody's perfect at balancing their social behavior, Um to sort of appear optimal to others. But I think, you know, people are implicitly aware of the type of trade-off I'm describing. Hmm. No, totally. Um, well, and yeah. I, I think it's fascinating what we're finding out about humans and human behavior that it's not just an inherent moral outrage. Sometimes it's payday too, right? You get to elevate yourself while being outraged. And I guess sometimes it is right. just... You just we have compassion. I mean, that's part of being human, too. And the compassion may make this even more outrageous for us. Definitely. That's powerful. Well, we appreciate you, Jillian Jordan. uh, When are you done with your Ph.D.? When do you defend your dissertation and everything? Um, I have two more years after this one. Oh, Jillian, come on. (laughs) Hang on. (laughs) Two more years. You're almost there. Well, we appreciate you being on the show. Thanks for your great work. And uh, keep helping us understand human behavior. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Good luck. Jillian Jordan from Yale University. Two more years. Can you imagine? Of uh, This has got to be hard work. Wow. The moral human, right? We, we're mad. We can't take it. And you see it. We see it going on with Trump. But a lot of people, remember, get a high just being anti-Trump. They get a little moral push, a little moral pick-me-up simply because they're against somebody. 
But remember, too, there are a lot of people that are outraged because of the immorality of others, which might be some of the backers of Trump as well. It's a crazy world we live in, right? Where you can show anger and frustration, and it still might help you advance morally, in the eyes of others at least. We'll take a break, folks. Come back, uh, wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us, helping you see the good in the world. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Man, interesting subject, isn't it? When you talk about morality, ah, the reason we do what we do and why we do it, its and we don't consciously sit there and say, I will now go try to look better by being morally superior to everybody. But we all know somebody that has to tell us when we're doing something wrong. Or I had friends growing up in high school that if I, I would make a joke that they would laugh at, but then they'd be like, oh, Matt, shouldn't say that. And it, it was hilarious. That's why they were laughing. And they were like, man, what's wrong with me? Why, why do I say that? Because I must be such a misfit. Anyway, morality. And one of the things I talk a lot about when I work with my clients is we, we, there's a thing called logical force. Okay, So logical force is when we make a decision based on logic, not morality. For example... Um, if you have a friend that called you a name or embarrassed you at a at an event, it would be logical that you don't talk to her, I guess, for a week. Ignore her. Ben does this all the time with the producers around him. It's very effective. Well, okay. And um, we're talking against it now, so you wouldn't want to probably argue that it's effective. I just need to put that in. Okay. Sorry. So... <laughs> So you're justified, right? Because you're doing something that is right. If you went and interviewed your friends, nine out of your 10 friends, if you had 10 friends, Ben, nine out of 10 of them would say, yeah, I'd be mad too. And I would ignore Stacy. I'd ignore her because that was totally rude. The problem is, even if it's, even if it's logical for you to be mad, even if it's, uh, and you can see this in our political world, even if it makes good political sense for you to put someone down for you to destroy someone's career or, you know, credibility, it, just because it is logical and it, it logically can be justified, it doesn't make it moral, right? Your morals, your moral value system and your logic system don't all – they don't go together because many times the most moral thing you can do when you see something that's been done – Wrong. Like, let's go to the story of the guy that killed the lion. Um, I guess you could gang up and jump in and send it to everyone you know and show how moral you are. Or you could just shut your flapper and go make a donation to preserving animals. Right? But no one would know about that. So. What's the point? What's the point? Why would I do something that nobody knows about? I guess because it's moral. So when I think of a moral person, I think of a Gandhi, uh, a Buddha, Mother Teresa. These people didn't promote their actions. They just acted. I think you're being naive, Matt. (laughs) Is that – are you trying to show 
Are you trying to get me mad? So I would. No, I'm trying to be logical. Trust your larynx. Um, Got to look after yourself in this world. See, again, thank you. Thank you, Mr. Trump. Um, that's a perfect example. That's a perfect example. All of a sudden, it's logical to defend yourself. You feel like you have to defend yourself. Even the guy that was going to rush the stage, he was making a good point. Donald Trump's a bully, so all I wanted to do is just take the – I just wanted to take his his speaker away, his pulpit away. I wanted to get rid of his stand. I didn't want to let him have his voice anymore. Logical. Logical. Not so logical when you think of the fact that there was tens of thousands of people there that would have stopped him. Uh, Twelve or so, he said, you know, Secret Service people that could have killed him or killed someone else trying to stop him. Not super logical. But he feels like he has moral authority to do that. I guess one of the problems we run into in our society is we think we have a right and that right means we have no responsibility. We have a right to say what we need to say, to use our voice, to be mad and to take a stand and even charge the stage. We have a right to do this. But there's also a responsibility. Do you know how bad that could have gone? Secret Service that have weapons. This guy could have either been killed or other people harmed or injured or Donald could have had a heart attack. Things could have happened. There's a responsibility that comes along with all of this. So just because you have a moral right or a right, logical right, it doesn't mean it's going to be moral and healthy for you. And remember, check your own gut. If Why do you need to post certain things? Look at what you're posting. If you're somebody that is constantly posting political things or constantly having to beat up the latest issue morally, um, why are we doing that? Ask yourself, what, does, what do I gain by being this type of person? In the end, you're probably not actually improving your moral system. In the end, your moral system is more between you, your God, you and your people around you, you and the followers that respect you and trust you. That's where your moral system creates strength, not in the masses necessarily. Unless you're somebody that is always in the masses uh, – where th- people following you, I'd keep your moral compass fine-tuned to the people around you. Anyway, uh, closest to you, by the way. We'll take a break. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We can't do the show without you. We'll be back in just a few minutes. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Happy National Workplace Napping Day. Ha! I brought my futon. Don't you just crawl under your desk? That's what you told us before. Yeah, I do. You have a little pillow, mm-hmm. some candles. A to pillow. I got a pillow. Set the mood. I, I wish I knew that there was like a national day for this because I wouldn't have taken so many naps before. Yeah, I was wondering. I you, you nap a lot during the show. Yeah, it's well, I didn't know there was a day designated to napping during work. Yeah, that would be today. Today would be the only day you should nap during work. Well, now I feel dirty napping during work because I haven't made it special from... Yeah, mm. that's a good point. You've ruined it. 
Yeah. This was supposed to be a day of celebration. It's, and it's like do it ruining Christmas, right? Yeah. Like, I've well, seen my presence. And the way you sleep, when you lean back in the chair as far as you can go, kick your, your chin all yeah. the way back, your mouth is just open and you're just wheezing. Yeah, that's weird. The it's wheezing, really distracting. The wheezing scares me. But like, if I don't do it that way, I'm not going to be as comfortable as I could be, you know? Yeah. If we had like M and M's or something, we could just like throw them in his mouth. Oh, I do. I throw uh, yeah, a little I've, game out of it. Have you, do you remember when you caught that paper clip? That was great. When I choked on it. Yeah, but you know what? It, that, came, that it was came hard. Out. It passed after like two minutes of the hemlock. Yeah, that was it. Was fine. <laughs> hey, it's also potato chip day. Oh, this is a great day. And pie pie day. Three point one four one five nine two six five three five eight nine seven nine. I mean, if you're keeping score, etc. Hi, March 14th. Mm. Which means you can go and eat pie mm-hmm. to celebrate Pie Day. Get get you some pie. Get some pie. We had a neighbor bring us a pie last night, mm. and I didn't know it was for Pie Day. He was just doing it for goodwill. His name is Will, by the way. Was that self-moral pieing? Yeah. He was, he was trying to make himself look better by giving you a pie? He actually cares about us. Why is pie chewy? Ben, uh, oh, and it's turn your mic off, Ben. It's soupy. Ben, turn your mic off. Should pie? Be, I'm celebrating pie day. Should pie be soupy? Not soupy. This is, is very soupy. He's like slurping soup, like a peach cobbler. Yeah, but not that soupy. It's like you've messed up the recipe. It's so soupy. Hey, um, speaking of soupy, mm. did you hear about this? Oregon City fires its groundkeeping goats. How is that soupy? Because they had a barnyard aroma that would have had a, like, a soup-like aroma. It depends on your point of view. Depends. You, you don't know the story. A crew of goats brought in to devour invasive plants at a popular park in Oregon State's capital, Salem, have been fired because they ate indiscriminately, they cost nearly five times as much as human landscapers, and they smelled far worse. Do you think this was done to avoid the uh, carbon emissions from lawnmowers? Probably. Okay. Maybe the chemicals from yeah. weed killer. But instead, you had 75 Billy and Nanny goats that were supposed to eat Armenian blackberry. It's organic. And English ivy. But instead, <laughs> they probably ate everything else. Yeah. You can't target a goat. Uh, my goat will only eat blackberry bushes. That's funny. <laughs> the Armenian blackberry, particularly. So they mowed everything down yeah. and they smelled. And all of a sudden, it has a barnyard aroma. It's like, wait, the wind shifted. Oh. Yeah. Because they, you gotta, you know, you gotta. There's a lot you gotta do. The, the goats need water, so you gotta get them water. They also, you need to handle their toilet stuff. That's what it says. Droppings. Well, the work. I mean, workers need toilets, right? So, do you goats just use their? They just drop it. But when they drop it, then it stays and smells for a while. So it started ruining the park. Workers, you just you know bring in a porta potty, but that costs moo. <laughs> we have some billy goats working a, a place by my house. It's pretty amazing. They do a great job. They just you just they just fence them in and then let them go. Yeah, and they clean the whole place up. I, I think we know. I how- saw two of them laying sod, just <laughs> rolling it out with their little hooks. Like, look at that go! It's amazing. Such a great job. Great landscapers. But I, I think we know how to, f- like, solve the gland problem, the smelly gland problem. 
You just like fry it up. Oh, you know what? There's a great solution. Taste it. I don't remember talking about a gland problem. Yeah, that was kind of weird. That well, was really because weird. they were smelly, right? Well, I don't know if that's glandular. Oh, yeah. That might just be nature's way of making you not go near something <laughs> so you don't step in it. <laughs> it's not glands. It's other stuff. It's just probably, yeah. It's just, it's just I was gut. just trying to find another way to pitch our I appreciate that. Our product. Cross-promotion. Cross-promotion. Again, we, we have a tasing company. It's not doing as well as we thought it would do. Well, it it's not really I, – I think you've it's, – It's not a gun. People get mis, mis – It's not a knife. They misunderstand your point. You're not necessarily even marketing a taser. It's your name to brand such a product, That's a right? great point. That's a great point. We, so it's not the actual taser. It's just the branding. We didn't make the taser. Yeah. We just, we just license our name. It's the Donald Trump. It's the Donald Trump model. We just license our name to tasers. He licenses his name to steaks. We license we licensed our name to corn dogs the other day. Okay. Town dog they call it. (laughs) Town dog. And uh, we don't we don't make the corn dog. We don't put the stick in it. We just license our name to it. We're trying to take a Trump approach to economics. It seems to be working for him. Yeah, he's Why not apply it. it here? And even his stakes that have gone out of business, he can still sell at one of his events. Rest, well, he saw, I think he sells them at his restaurants. Yeah. Because ha- if you get one at a, at a Trump restaurant, that's technically a Trump steak. Not a bad point. That's yeah. a great point. I spoke this weekend um, and I pitched tasers. It was a church setting. Hmm. And I pitched the, the remember the tasers. Didn't go well. Hmm. Didn't go well. Not a lot of takers. I would have assumed like it'd be popular in like a youth setting. Oh, youth love a good taser. Well, I, they'd be the ones tased. Oh. Was, but maybe they'd like the taser. But I spoke to youth too and I spoke to adults and it seemed like the, nobody was really interested. So I'm going to – I'm starting – got to find a new brand. Eh? Will you look into that, Terry? Terry, look into the um, a brand that all people like. Okay. How about Water. Brand water? Townsend Water. Townsend Water? We've got a water machine right there. It's just tap just, water. It just No, it just brings water from the center of the earth. Oh, it's a natural spring. It's a natural spring. It spouts up from the broadcasting building. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. Hey, um, anything going on around the rest of the world that we need to pay attention to? Today? There is a Republican presidential frontrunner Donald Trump has fallen behind Ohio Governor John Kasich in Ohio, according to an NBC poll that came out on Sunday. The governor leads the billionaire business mogul 39% to 33%. A new Quinnipiac University poll released this morning shows that Kasich and Trump are tied, each with 38% of the vote. On Friday, Marco Rubio's campaign team urged supporters in Ohio to vote for Kasich instead, theoretically giving Republicans the best chance to stop Trump from winning. Trump leads in two other Tuesday primary states, nearly doubling Rubio in his home state of Florida and topping Ted Cruz in Illinois. Some in the GOP want to force a brokered convention to stop Trump, but Ted Cruz says he's in it to win it. No, we're not engaged in this delegate denial strategy that came out of the Washington establishment because they have dreams of a brokered convention dropping their favorite Washington candidate in to win. That would be a disaster. The people would revolt. Mm-hmm. The only way to beat Donald Trump is beat him at the ballot box. And there's only one candidate that can get to 1237 and beat Donald Trump, right. and that's me. Kasich. Oop. <laughs> oh, I thought that was Kasich. Sorry. 
No, he's saying that Ted Cruz. Oh, Ted Cruz could do that. Ted Cruz could oh, okay. do that. Even though the math yeah. is a little shaky, he, ah. he, he denies ah. the math and says we're going to do okay. it this way. Meanwhile, polls show Hillary Clinton beating Bernie Sanders among likely Democratic primary voters in all three states, Illinois, Florida, and Ohio. She's just going to take them all, she moving can, right along. Right. Take them all. Unless the polls are wrong, like they were in, was it Michigan? Right. Where Bernie was able yeah. to come back. The burn and, came and back. Take that one. So we'll see uh, what I happens. I mean, Bernie's got the corner on trade, and a lot of people are liking his trade. So they're, they're theorizing that maybe the polling across the Midwest might be a little shaky. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. The Republican National Committee is joining forces with conservative interest groups on a concerted effort to prevent President Obama from naming a new justice to the U.S. Supreme Court to replace the late conservative Justice Antonin uh, Scalia. Senate Republicans have vowed not to even hold hearings, as we all know. Uh, the uh, d- 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 Let's see, Mitch McConnell from the Senate and Senator Charles Grassley from the Judiciary Committee met March 2nd with dozens of prominent conservative groups hmm. to agree on a strategy to sell to the public and pressure Democrats up for election this year. The Washington Times reports the RNC will coordinate with those efforts and co- uh, contact with, uh, contract with America Rising Squared to dig up opposition, opposition research on potential Obama nominees. Hmm. Which is interesting because many of them have already been approved rather recently for federal yeah. seats. So now they're going to find new oppositional uh, kind of angles to to derail the candidates they liked a couple months ago. But it's it's funny too because um, it, it, a lot of these people don't want to be nominated right now. Like don't no. no 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 because of that reason. Yeah, you don't want people digging up mm-hmm. anything. Just let it lie. Yeah. Let me stay in my, my nice federal court judgeship, and I won't go to the Supreme Court now. I'll there go you later. Go. Uh, two million people throughout the South face a threat of devastating flooding after a weekend of violent storms and tornadoes. Louisiana, Missouri, and Tennessee all have issued flash flood warnings, with regions of Kentucky, Arkansas, Mississippi, Alabama, and Texas also threatened. Throughout Sunday and overnight, 12 tornadoes or possible tornadoes were reported in Arkansas. On Sunday, President Obama declared the flooding in Louisiana a major disaster Rising rivers along the Louisiana-Texas border required 3,300 residents to be evacuated. By 11 p.m. Sunday, emergency responders had conducted 60 water rescues. Six people have died since the storms began. Hmm. Just a crazy line of storms moving up the south. Yeah. Causing big issues there. And uh, this in a developing story with the Apple FBI stuff. Several big-name Silicon Valley companies, including Facebook and Google, are planning to bolster encryption of user data. The new projects reportedly began before Apple's legal battle with the FBI. Many have already shown public support for Apple in their their fight with the the San Bernardino cell phone. WhatsApp, a messaging service owned by Facebook that reports about 1 billion monthly users, plans to extend its secure messaging service so that voice calls are also encrypted. That development may roll out within weeks. The Guardian reports that Google is exploring extra uses of the technology following a long-term encryption email project, and Snapchat also allegedly is working on a secure messaging system. Wow. I saw in 60 Minutes last night, they were interviewing the head of the uh, Interpol team that's uh, investigating the Paris attacks, and they're looking at the app they were using, and it's end-to-end encryption. You can't get into it. See, somebody's going to have to solve this and not mess up everyone else. How does the general public across the world have privacy, but still we can figure out what the terrorists are doing? Yeah. Because you you can't – it's almost like one without the other. They can't exist. But the federal government seems to think there might be a solution, even though they don't know what that is. Well, yeah. I mean, can't they 
they can't. They've been working with companies for access for years. So, couldn't the company solve the encryption problem and then just keep it priority, uh, you know, as theirs, and then the government just by subpoena get it. I don't know. Or not even get it, but get the data. I don't know if they want to go that far, if the companies want to be involved in that I'm at all. I'm sure they don't, but there's a burden you've got to carry, right? I don't know. Our guest tomorrow morning at 720, we'll no. discuss this This, this whole is what thing. we got to solve. Neil Weiler, he's been on before. He's yeah. a, a, a security expert. Yeah, he's great. We had him on talking about all the, the um, uh, what the privacy, the private records breaches that right. have happened in the government and private the sectors. scary ways that you're being He is a... A hacker, a white hack type hacker guy, a white hat hacker, a good guy. Mm -hmm. But he he has some insights into this that are quite interesting about the iPhone and that. Again, that's why we do the show, to bring you the latest, the greatest information you need to know. Hey, in a minute, we'll be bringing on our next guest. Todd Henry will be joining us. He's the author of the book, Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. More and more, uh, you know, we're creating our own identity using social media. We have followers that like us. We are, we've talked a lot on the show about the importance of your own brand and building your own brand. Well, it's just as important to, to know your voice and know what to say, how to say it, and how to find your authentic self so you don't just feel like you're repeating what everyone else is saying. Todd Henry will be joining us uh, talking about his book, Louder Than Words, Stick with us, folks, helping you find your voice this hour. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, in today's world of online retail, social media marketing, Today's age provides numerous opportunities for entrepreneurship to flourish. There has never been a better time to build an audience around your idea or your product. But with so many people and companies clamoring for attention, it's also more challenging than ever to, to you know, get your work, uh, to do a work that actually resonates with you. Something that, that really lights that fire inside of you. And also is still marketable and and can make you some money. Todd Henry joins us now this morning. He is going to talk about his book, Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Own Authentic Voice. According to him, the key to standing apart from the noise within the rest of the world is to find your unique voice. He's with us this morning to talk a little bit more about what, uh, what that is and his book, Louder Than Words. Todd Henry, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Thanks, Matt. It's great to speak with you. Great to have you on board. Now, talk to me about uh, the book. You've written other work, works, The Accidental Creative, Day Empty, and the, the new one, Louder Than Words. What, When you say louder than words and your authentic voice, what are you talking about there? Well, I think that when we use this word authenticity, and we're hearing this word a lot in our culture right now, especially in America with you know, the presidential election, this is kind of the buzzword of the election, right, is authenticity. Right. I think we tend to use that word to mean just saying whatever's on your mind or just doing whatever you think or feel. But I think authenticity is more nuanced than that. I think that what we have to do, Matt, and, and I think what, what the stories of the, the people I interviewed for the book show is that we have to root our work in something we substantially care about, something that 
really matters to us. And then we not only have to, to root our work in that, but we have to let other people see what we care about and why it matters to us hmm. if we want our work to resonate. I think that we're in a, a culture right now that is highly skeptical, cynical, and they're looking for a reason to discount anything that we say or do. And as a result, I think that we have to be much more intentional about ensuring that uh, who we are, what we care about, where we're going, uh, and, and the things that really comprise our best work are put out there for the world to, to connect with. I, I guess that's the point, huh? because today we live in a day of you know, abundance, it seems like, where multiple opportunities – and you might be able to, you know, import something from China and make a lot of money just reselling it on Amazon or whatever. But if it doesn't move you, you're not going to want to – you're not going to bring be, bring passion to it. You're not going to, to – it's not going to stand the test of time. It's going to fade. I think that's absolutely true. And I think, you know, as we consider, you know, all of us who are listening, those of us who go to work every day, we – uh, engage in work that hopefully is having some kind of impact in the world, regardless of what our job is. You know, everything that we do is contributing value in some form or fashion to the business, to the workplace, you know, where we're engaged or to the marketplace in general. I think all of us want our work to stand for something. Uh, you know, even if we don't necessarily you know, love the tasks that we do all day, we want to know that we're going to work every day and contributing something that, that has value. And, and I believe that it's not about you know, finding the perfect job or finding the perfect product or finding the perfect whatever, but it's about our ability to bring who we are to what we do every day and to position ourselves so that we're bringing unique and compelling value into the world. Hmm. Now, can you do that? I mean, it seems like some things are more just altruistic. Some things seem to lend more to uh, to maybe a good, tender, good heart. But if I'm a financial planner, you're saying I could still bring – my work could should speak for me, and um, I could still bring something powerfully and unique to that field. Absolutely. I, mean, I would say not only should it speak for you, I would say it does speak for you. I think everything that we do, every piece of value we contribute, every decision we make, every message that we communicate speaks – for us, and it actually speaks louder than words. Our body of work speaks louder than the words that we use. We all know there's people who position themselves really well, right? And they, right. they come across really slick and really well positioned, but at the end of the day, we just kind of sense there's something dissonant there. There's something that's not congruous. And I think a lot of times it's because people are operating in a way that's not consistent with who they really are. I think people, consumers in general, are getting savvier about the ability to discern uh, when somebody is not coming from a, a standpoint of authenticity is as Tim Shiggle, the founder of share this an online, uh, sharing platform told me, he said, authenticity doesn't have to amplify, right? You don't have to scream. You don't have to shout because people will resonate with your message. If you're rooting it in something. Hmm. That's interesting. If we are, if we're rooted, then I don't need to just go out and blow everybody up. I could simply do a, um, I could just simply share my message and my passion, my authenticity will carry it. What, what, when you, when you talk about this, give us some examples in the work that you've done and from your book, Louder Than Words, where, where you've seen somebody take and find their authentic voice and, and really it, it became a, a really strong amplifier in their work. So there, there are three kind of core elements that I saw at work in the lives of individuals and businesses as I uh, interviewed people for this book. And really, over the course of the last couple of books I've written as well, it's funny because all of these books kind of flow together, and many of the stories 
have sort of been building up to this this message of of building an authentic and resonant voice. But uh, the three kind of core drivers of what I call the voice engine, right? The drivers of an authentic, compelling voice. The first one is identity, which is really about answering the question, who are you? Hmm. What is the platform upon which your best work is founded? And I think for many people, they never really ask that question. Many organizations, I mean, they have nice mission statements on the wall. They have nice vision statements, but those vision statements aren't connected with reality. They're not connected with what people are actually engaging in every day. And so I think one of the things that we have to do, and I saw uh, many people in the course of my research who did this, we have to identify what is it that we really care about. So one of the ways we as individuals can do that, we can ask, for example, you know, what fills me with compassionate anger? You know, what problems am I obsessed with? Uh, what moves me emotionally? What, you know, what makes me cry? Um, you know, how do we develop a sense of, of who we are, of, of how our work is, is uh, most resonant? One of the, the people that I had the chance to interview for the book was uh, a guy named Amos Heller, who was a, a, a musician. He's a bass player, uh, and he was kind of the, the, the king of bass players in his home city, right? He was uh, mm. uh, kind of the, the, the go-to guy that everybody wanted to, to play bass with him. And he, he decided, you know, I think I'm going to move to a place where I can maybe have more impact. So he decided to move to Nashville. Um, and he moved to Nashville, became a, a small fish in a very big pond. And one day, a, a more experienced person was asking him, hey, what do you want to do? What is it you really want to do? And he said, well, I'll do anything. I'll do studio session work. I'll do, you know, I'll, I'll go on the road with someone. I'll, I'll play showcases. And his friend said, that, that's not good enough. That doesn't help me. That's not precise enough. And he said, you have to tell me exactly what you want. And Amos said, okay, great. I want to be on a bus traveling down the road performing with an artist. That was kind of his – he said, great. Now I know how to recommend you. Amos had chosen something very specific. Hmm. And through a long series of circumstances, Amos ended up getting a, a, the kind of opportunity he wanted, and that led to another thing, led to another thing, and now Amos is touring bass player for Taylor Swift. Oh, wow. Right? This is over the course of many years, which is kind of a really nice gig to have as a bass player, right? Yeah. But it all began, and I've seen this happen over and over again in careers – with people in, in, in the marketplace and in other places where they're afraid to make a decision. They're afraid to commit because they don't want to miss out on opportunities. But the reality is it's kind of counterintuitive. But when you refuse to make a commitment, that is often when people don't know how to recommend you. You, know, you don't know how to look for opportunities when you're not being precise. But it's the moment that we begin to decide. The word decide means to cut off. When we begin to decide and make a decision, that opportunities reveal themselves because we're being precise and we're founding our work upon who we really are. Hmm. So that's really what identity is about. It's about founding your work upon who you are, making bold decisions with your work uh, and, and, in that and, area. And you gotta you gotta make that tough cut to 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 I guess to to benefit and to and to know. I mean, part of that is saying it right. When you finally say what you want, you can see how it feels. That's exactly right. And, and again, I think, I think a lot of people, Matt, are afraid to make bold decisions because they don't want people to, to discount them. They don't want to miss out on opportunities. But the reality is if you're trying to please everyone with your work, and this is true in marketing, it's true in career decisions, it's true in launching a product. If you're trying to please everyone, you're not going to please anyone. Mm. You're not going to resonate with anyone because people are going to sense that you're just putting it out there and trying to get the best response you can from everyone. This going to be a very shallow response. It's not right. going to be a deep and resonant response response. So you have to found your work. You have to root it in a sense of identity. Who am I? What do I want? And am I willing to make bold decisions in order to get there? That's great. And that's really kind of the first core driver of 
the voice engine. The second one, Matt, is vision, which is about where am I going? So I'm not doing my work for me. I'm doing it because I want to lead an intended audience somewhere. I want to take them somewhere. I want to impact the world in some way. And this is what vision is about. And the, the most compelling voices that I discovered in the course of my research had a clear vision for their intended audience, for the people they wanted to reach. I don't know if you um, had a chance, Matt, to see the Like a Girl campaign mm. that the Always brand created no. last year. Uh, it, it, it was a uh, a campaign that was created uh, by Leo Burnett and Procter and Gamble for their Always brand, and uh, it was basically what happened is they had uh, these uh, kind of like young teenage girls, uh, you know, come into a room, and then they had some like adult women come into the room, and they asked the adult women on video, "What does it mean to run like a girl?" Hmm. Right, and they were kind of flailing about and doing this sort of really uh, stereotypical kind of thing. What is it? What does it look like to to throw like a girl? And they sort of did this stereotypical, oh, you know, flimsy throwing thing. And then they brought these young, uh, early teenage or preteen girls in, and they filmed them. They said, "What does it mean to run like a girl?" And they just took off running, hmm. all serious, you know, serious on their face. What does it mean to throw like a girl? And they threw with a really determined motion. And what they were trying to point out is that at some point in our lives, these narratives creep in, and we begin to turn something like run like a girl, which these young girls did with great determination, into uh, sort of a type or something that's kind of a, a, a slanderous thing to say about someone. And they, they filmed this video, they put it out, and they wanted to attach that to uh, help to, uh, to a, a, a mission of helping teenage girls with self-esteem and help them understand that you shouldn't let these narratives affect you. And so they put it out as a, as a YouTube video, and it got millions and millions of views. It resonated wow. deeply with the audience. And then it turned into a Super Bowl commercial. It actually was a very successful Super Bowl commercial for, for this brand. But the reason it resonated, according to the people who created it, was they were taking what they cared about. They wanted you know, to, to help people understand the, the importance of self-esteem among young girls because they've done tremendous research showing that those teenage years are a time where self-esteem takes a tremendous hit. What the audience cares about, which obviously is the same thing, but then also an idea that was kind of already out there in the world had momentum. And they wanted to build something at that platform and, 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 and the intersection of those three things. And when they built it at the intersection of those three things, it had tremendous resonance because it was on a vision of where they wanted to lead their audience. Mm. So identity, cool. what I care about, vision, where do I want to lead my audience? And where do they already want to go? And how do I begin to create messages that will meet them where they are? Powerful. And so when let's you take, do that, let, it has tremendous power. Let's take a break and come back and do the third engine, um, uh, the the third voice engine. Identity is one. Vision is one. We've got another one coming up. Again, we're speaking with Todd Henry author of the book, Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. These principles, these tools where you find your voice, you find your identity, you find your vision, um, it creates it creates a force. It creates a power in you that uh, will enable you and your organization to, uh, to take it to the next level, to produce results, and do so in a way that's aligned to your purpose in life, your vision. It's cool stuff. Stick with us, folks. We'll take a break. More with Todd Henry when we come back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. 
Do you feel like uh, you are an authentic human, an authentic individual? Do you feel like you know who you are, your identity? Have you answered the question, who am I? How do I want to impact the world? Do you have a very clear vision of what you want to do, either professionally or just in your life? Because having those two things questioned, identity, who are you, your vision, where do you want to take uh, your life? Um, there, there are two key parts to what is called the voice engine. And joining us today uh, is the author of the book, Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. Todd Henry joins us. If you go to his website, toddhenry.com, you can find out more information about his speaking, articles he's written, books he's written, and um, uh, just a great resource to help us figure out who we are, our voice. And we welcome you back, Todd. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Matt. So you've taught us identity uh, as part of this engine that'll help, you know, our voice become more authentic. Also, our vision, having a vision um, and knowing who we're about um, truly can can be powerful. What's the third uh, part of the voice engine? So the third driver of authentic voices is mastery. And mastery is about mastering the set of skills that you need in order to bring that voice into the world. Because without mastery, you won't be credible. So last year, I was speaking um, just outside of San Diego at an event, at a conference. And in order to get to Coronado Island, where I was speaking, you had to drive across a bridge and through a, a narrow sliver of land. And on one side of the land was a naval base. On the other side of the land was the U.S. Navy SEALs BUDS training facility, where the yeah. Navy SEALs become Navy SEALs, basically. And my driver said, you will see those seals out there at 7 in the morning one day. And the next day, they'll be out there at 2 in the afternoon. The next day, they'll be out there at 12 midnight. And he said, it's just they do randomized training. And the reason they do that, Matt, is because they never know when they're going to be called upon to confront an enemy at a moment's notice, when they're going to have to to step up to address a threat. And so they have to be battle-ready at all times. And that phrase really resonated with me. I thought, battle-ready, what a great way to describe those of us who who go to work and we're confronting problems and we're having to deal with complex issues every day, even though obviously the threats aren't nearly as as dangerous or imminent as what what our, our military faces. I thought, what would it take for me to be battle ready or for the people I work with or the companies I work with to be battle ready? And I think that's the mindset we have to adopt when it comes to mastery. Hmm. What are the set of daily practices or dailies that we need to engage in every single day so that we're prepared at a moment's notice when an opportunity arises, we're prepared when a crisis arises, we're prepared to deliver our message or to deliver, to deliver value at a moment's notice. And so, for example, that could mean how much time do you spend every day studying, you know, noticing patterns in your environment, paying attention to nuance, paying attention to emerging trends, paying attention to what's going on, not just in your industry, but outside of your industry, because the next great idea for your company or for your industry may not come from inside your industry. Right, right. right. So how much time do you spend studying nuance? How much time do you spend in conversation with other people who sharpen you, who challenge you? Do you do that on a daily basis? Do you have strategic conversations on a daily basis to push you out of your comfort zone, to challenge your thinking, to help you pay attention to patterns? Do you have a collective of people that you meet with on a regular basis? You know, do you do business development every day? Are you out there planting seeds that are going to bear fruit in you know, days, weeks, months, or years? So these are just a couple of examples of 
the kinds of daily practices that we need to build, Matt, individually, if we want to be prepared, if we want to be battle ready or be in, as athletes call it, be in game shape, you know, ready to step on the court or step on the field at a moment's notice. It seems like uh, mastery as a component, I mean, all of them, I guess, identity, vision and mastery, they they bring you a, a kind of an inner confidence and an inner sense of who you are, that you're capable, that you're battle ready, as you say, which seems like now I could, I would use that energy, that positivity to share my voice, to be more strong, more aggressive. Absolutely. No question. And, you know, the funny thing is all of these drivers of the voice engine, identity, vision, mastery, they all work together, right? So as you develop a sense of identity, who you are, it helps you cultivate your vision and where you want to take your intended audience, the people you're trying to impact. And then understand what skills you need to develop, what patterns you need to notice, you know, how you need to sharpen yourself so that you can deliver that value, which then also, by the way, as we act, we learn about ourselves. We learn about who we are and what we care about, what we're good at, what we're not good at which then feeds again into our sense of identity and who we are, Mm. which then sort of perpetuates the cycle. So they all kind of seem to work together within individuals and organizations who get all of these three pieces right. That's powerful. So you go out, you teach this to organizations, um, and and you train them on this. What what are you seeing? I, I mean, this is this is what happens when all of a sudden everybody in a company has an authentic voice. Well, and this is the challenge, right? The challenge is that you have to have a culture that is willing to embrace and adopt this mindset. Because frankly, I, I think there are many organizations out there that are kind of afraid of <laughs> empowering people to be able to speak what they're saying and to, to bring who they are to what they do. The reality is, though, that when organizations get this right, especially within teams, when you have teams of people who come together uh, and, and enact this kind of boldness and this kind of uh, you know, identity, vision, mastery, working together within the team, something powerful happens because people begin speaking their mind. People begin confronting one another. They begin talking about ideas and, and arguing and fighting over ideas, not over personality. Hmm. Because when we feel like we're not welcome, our voice isn't welcome into the conversation, our, our conversations tend to be petty. Our fights tend to be petty. We, you know, conflicts arise because people feel like they're not being valued. But once you welcome people into the organization, it creates a patina of accountability throughout the organization where people recognize if I don't speak up, if I don't bring myself fully into this conversation or into this environment, then I'm not going to be around for long right? You know, because I am accountable for doing that. And it's actually kind of the opposite. If people are afraid that it's going to introduce negative conflict, actually what it does is it quells negative conflict and it introduces positive conflict. You know, all fighting is not bad inside of organizations. Fighting over ideas is a good thing, right. but we want to create the kind of environment where we're fighting about ideas, not fighting over personality or petty politics. Is that is that's so true, isn't it? And and all of a sudden, yeah, this confidence makes it so. If if I am on a team that can't adapt, that doesn't want to become, you know, kind of a more empowering team where everyone has an authentic voice, then you you would also have enough strength to opt out and to just leave and go find a place that does have it instead of just feeling, you know, disempowered and disabled in your workforce. That's exactly right. I mean, weak leaders try to control. They try to control their teams. Weak leaders try to control the voice of their team. They try to control the input of their team. Confident leaders, leaders who are confidently adaptable, not driven by ego, because ego is about control, it's about Mm -hmm. inflexibility, it's all about me. You know, I'm invaluable, not I'm valuable. These are different mindsets. 
but confident leaders are willing to empower the people on their team to shine because they recognize that the greatest potential for impact for me as a leader will only be revealed through that leadership, only when my influence scales. So leaders who are, are confident are about influence, not about control, hmm. right? And this yeah. is a very different thing. I want to replicate. So when your voice begins to really create impact within the organization, others become carriers of your message. They resonate with what you're doing, and then they begin to carry that message throughout the organization. And that's the power of an authentic voice. If it doesn't end with you and the people who hear you, then other people become carriers of that message, and they adopt it. It becomes part of the fabric of the organization that you're leading. Well, I think if anybody listening, you've probably seen that happen. You've seen one of these uh, these leaders uh, anywhere in your life that where their voice did get carried and it did kind of magnify through other people who took on that voice and it spreads. I mean, you can see it. It exists. No question. And and it is, it is the path to greater impact and greater influence. Listen, if you have work that you care about, work that matters to you personally, of course, you want to see that influence other people. You want to see it lead up. If you want to create a body of work, you can point to with pride and say, that body of work, that delta, that change I've created represents the sum of my greatest accomplishments, not the sum of my greatest compromises. Mm. You know, but in order to do that, we have to be willing every day to put ourselves into the arena. We have to be willing to bring who we are to the table and say, hey, I'm going to like it or not, you know, resonate with it or not. I'm going to bring the best of who I am to what I do. And I'm going to strive to build a body of work I can point to with pride. What, what would you say, uh, Todd, is that is something I can do today that anybody out there listening might be overwhelmed because, oh, I don't even have the book and I got to get the book and learn it and read it. But what and you've mentioned uh, identity, vision and mastery. What would you say is like the one thing that if they just started doing it today would immediately open up their eyes, their mind to more authenticity? So I want to give you a handful of questions you can ask yourself as it relates to identity to help you begin to drill down on what what really fuels my what is the work that just resonates deeply within me that I think will also resonate with others. The first one is, and I mentioned this earlier, what fills you with anger? Not, and I'm not talking about road rage. I'm not talking about in you know some somebody did a slight injustice you off in traffic. I'm talking about compassionate anger. The word passion comes from the root word pati, which means to suffer, right? So compassion means to suffer with. What fills you with compassionate anger? When you see it, you think, ah, somebody needs to write that injustice. When have you seen those moments of compassionate anger in your life, in your work, and how has that fueled your work? And how can you bring that sense of compassionate anger to the work that you're doing today? Whatever that is. You you mentioned financial planners earlier. It could be, I'm tired of seeing people taken advantage of by the very system that's supposed to help them. Hmm. And that fuels me with compassionate anger, and I'm going to parlay that message into something that will resonate with my intended audience. Another one could be, what makes you cry? What moves you emotionally? You know, when have you been moved by something you've seen? I, I am profoundly moved, Matt, by the stories of underdogs, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I, I, like, for example, I wa- recently watched the movie Rudy. I don't know if you've seen that Yeah, movie I love that, yeah. Rudiger from, oh, I love that movie. And at the end of the movie, it's this tiny little guy who makes the football team. He's being carried off the field. You know, my wife comes down while I'm watching. She's like, why are you crying? <laughs> you are a mess. Times. I'm like, 
but but he's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. <laughs> they're caring about you know. I'm moved by the stories of underdogs, and guess what? That fuels my best work. It fuels a lot. Of, I I spend a ton of time with organizations who are David's taking on Goliaths, and I love that because. It, it, it's something that's just core to how I see the world. I love helping underdogs. So what is that for you? What moves you emotionally, and how can you parlay that into uh, something that can have impact for the world? And one, just one final thing yeah. I can ask is, what, what problems am I obsessed with? Where do I find myself naturally gravitating? If, if given the choice between five different problems, which one will I tend to gravitate toward the most? In the past, where have I done my best work because I've been so obsessed with solving a specific kind of problem, and how can I seek out more of those kinds of problems in my work so that I can begin to be decisive, to be precise, to say no to things that are okay so I can say yes to things that are great? Because mm. the reality is we can fill our life with a lot of good things, a lot of good work, and neglect the great work that we're capable of as a result. That's great. Good stuff. Todd Henry's his name. Go to his website, toddhenry.com. The book is Louder Than Words, Harness the Power of Your Authentic Voice. He's got other books there as well, and uh, just more information about the articles he's written. Everything you need to know about Todd is there. Todd Henry, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks so much, Matt. You bet. Great stuff. Wow. Isn't it interesting? You got your life. You got It's yours. It's all yours. Do you have an identity? Do you know who you are? Do you have a vision about what you want to do with it? Are you mastering something? It's authenticity. Seems basic, right? But you got to begin somewhere. We'll take a break. Come back. Wrap up the second hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. I mean, there's something about it, isn't there? Knowing you, knowing yourself, knowing what you want in the world, it makes a difference. Most of us don't have time to do that. We're too busy, you know, doing our job that we don't actually think about ourselves. And I've always uh, had this favorite quote that says, um, uh, Superior performance fosters independence of action. The better you perform something, the more freedom you have, right? Because when you are incredible at something, um, you will have this freedom to kind of write your ticket. Whether we always see that in professional sports, you know, the, the best athletes are the ones that can write their ticket. They can be a free agent. When they're a free agent, it's not a scary thing because... They're so good, people want them. But when you're a, when you're just an average worker, and which probably means you, you don't have passion behind what you're doing, then it's going to cost you. You don't have the freedom to just say, I'm done. You don't have the freedom to walk away and, and do what you'd rather do. So pay, pay attention to that. That's uh, I think that's what Todd Henry was getting into is – you got to know who you are. You got to know where you want to go and you got to be good at what you do. And if you do that, bada boom, bada bing, you'll have more success. You'll be like this 1966 Volvo. Listen to this. A Long Islander uh, has, has a revered uh, red Volvo. He's known for racking up a lot of miles on it. This car, a Volvo, 
has 3 million miles and is still hitting the pavement in mint condition. Irvin Gordon says he cranked out another 273,000 miles in his uh, 1966 P1800 convertible since he hit the triple million mark in September of 2013. The guy drives it everywhere, apparently. 273,000 miles in three years with no signs of stopping. It's better than new, the 75-year-old retired teacher told The Post. Everything is 100%. It's never broken down. It always starts right up. No matter how hot or cold it is outside, Gordon has given this baby 28 oil changes, four tune-ups, changed the transmission fluid four times in the last year. At first, people have a hard time believing that Gordon has tallied as many miles, um, you know, because that's like going around the earth about 126 times. He says the biggest secret is as simple as reading the owner's manual. Many people just tuck it under the kitchen sink or in the glove compartment and never look at it. You got to make the effort. So whether you want your Volvo to hit 3 million miles or you want, you know, your job to get you through your life, you got to put effort into it. That's why we do the show, to give you the tools, the information, so you can put your shoulder into it. Cool stuff. We'll take a break, folks. That's hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Next hour, more tools, more information to help you live longer and love stronger. We'll be right back. Don't go away. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning. This is the program where you get the information, the tools you need to live longer, uh, healthier, stronger lives. And what better day to do that than Potato Chip Day? Happy Potato Chip Day. My favorite snack. Is there a potato chip that disgusts you? No. A flavor? No. None? None. Wow. Nice. No. When, When something is perfect, you can't ruin it by flavor. It's perfect. I personally believe that all potato chips should be just original. I don't think it's worth it to have. Ah, that's a good stand. Extra but flavor this, added. This is a guy who really enjoys spam. That's true. True. So we have to take that into account. I am a purist. Uh, many people wouldn't say spam and pure go hand in hand. Depends where you live, I guess. It's a meat mix. Not known as pure. I mean, yummy to the... I love it. Don't get me wrong. I could eat Spam all day. My heart couldn't. My heart wants to explode after a little bit of that salty meat combo. I just, I just know some people, certain smells, mm-hmm. certain tastes, yeah. they just don't enjoy some flavors of chips. Like, do you like uh, salt and vinegar? Yes. Oh, that is so good. I have yet to find something that I'm... Offended or sometimes barbecue gets a little barbecue potato chips flavored. They get a little. It gets a little too much. Mm. You know, it feels like you just smoked them. Yeah, like maybe you just took all the spices and sometimes that's hard. But you know what? I'm willing to sacrifice. It's potato chip day. It's also pie day, but not the kind of pie I'd want. Three point one four. 
pie. Yeah, the math. The math blah, pie. Blah, blah, blah. Not the pizza pie mm. or the apple pie. Right. But to celebrate it, you could eat 3.14 pies. Yeah. Just Some places it. are offering like a 12-inch pizza for today for $3, 14 cents. That's great. You have to find those deals yourself, but they're out there. Look it up. Pie Pizza Day. There is a there's a there's a pizzeria called Pie. It is. They have the biggest pizzas. <sighs> it's also after you've celebrated Pie Day and Potato Chip Day. It's National Workplace Napping Day. Take a nap. You ought to have a have a nice hearty lunch. Mm-hmm. Take a nap. Just to over, oh, just to get by with the just to deal with the effects of daylight savings. At some point, you need to re-energize and to recreate yourself. I'm sure every employer is fine with you taking a nap. I'd, just, I'd check. Just don't. You, don't, you don't want to be kicking back in your office and yeah. someone walks in. No, nah, you don't. Totally That's embarrassing. Gone. A couple of times I've walked in where ben you, you were asleep. just in a coma. Matt. Yeah, have you seen that? Yeah, it was really embarrassing. Well, I had just had a big pie. You're over there, Matt. You're like, you just keep sleeping. I know. Finally, we just shut the door, turn out the lights. Well, you wake Ben up sometime. Honestly, if our next guest, Kim's going to see this, and it's so not professional. It's really embarrassing. And make him close his mouth. I told you. Just, it, he leaves it open. and Here, just go stick this pencil in it. The wheezing that happens, it's, <laughs> it's embarrassing. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. Ben. I mean, I, I get taking a nap, but. But you don't do it on the show. In the, well, he does it all the time. Yeah. Well, he, that's the only time at, I'm at work is on the show. He so. gets that look in his eye where they, and they roll back. Have you seen that? Yeah. It's weird, and he's talking to you. Like when he's talking to you, and he's doing that, something's not right with that guy. I don't want to get. I don't want to disparage. He may need some medical attention. Yeah, some sort of assessment. No, I used to be an EMT, so I know what to do. You just I, don't do it. <laughs> I don't do it. I want to see how far we can take this. <laughs> it's our own experiment. I almost. I was like one minute away from sticking an EpiPen mm. right into his heart. To jump started. <laughs> What's this going to do? I don't know. I was, I, I was going to try it. Knowing ben. knowing Ben, nothing. He'd just sleep right through it. Yeah. Boy. I'm too strong to be affected by something like and that. And then right. he just reeks of spam. You know what I mean? It is odd. I thought it was bad cologne, but you're right. It's spam. You think like burnt popcorn's bad? Burnt spam? Mm. Blah. That hasn't happened in this office. I worked in other offices. People would I know. go in, they would nuke the popcorn, and it would just smell for days. <laughs> Somebody just barbecued popcorn, and no one's done that here yet. No, knock on wood. Or maybe there's a better ventilation system I think system it's because you leave early. The popcorn one, we celebrate later in the day. The one that's worse is the coworker who takes the bag of mixed vegetables yeah. and throws it in the microwave. No. That comes out smelling like there's a dumpster throughout the entire building. <laughs> Worse is when somebody brings fish. Oh, fish is bad. They bring fish and they cook fish. Thanks. Ugh. Thanks for considering everybody else in the whole world. Not to get down. We're not getting down. No, we are. Some of that can be bad. But that's why you need a nap. So take a nap. Mm-hmm. Don't make... There's, apparently, there's a lot of driving mistakes that happen because yeah. of daylight savings. People right. are drowsy and they start... Sleepy. Yeah. Drifting lanes. Don't do that. No. Take a nap. And we also, we got to talk about really quickly, Donald Trump, somebody tried to jump on his his stand, his speaking stand, and boy, 
Secret Service got on it. You were commenting maybe just a second Maybe late. a step. Some people were like, did they hesitate? Like, ah, let's see. Okay, he didn't get him. Okay, let's go, let's go take care of him. But he, Donald just startled. That yes. guy jumped, he almost jumped, jumped over, he over his own. As you were talking about, it was uh, maybe a little humid in Dayton. Yeah. He was really sweaty. And people are like, is, is Trump seeing this get to the point where it's too far? Yeah, people are. Uh, people is, say he's, he's gone too far. Because he's ramped up his antagonistic sort of comments of bring out the stretcher, punch him in the face. Punch him in the face. Those sorts of things mixed with protesters who were seeing his rise here yeah. becoming great, more concerned about it so they're willing to step up and do more yeah you know risking arrest Hil- Hillary's bringing it up uh, he's got kind of going head to head with Bernie because you know I guess they both have angry crowds I guess of people but are, are we getting these these forces coming together around Trump and his his use of words that will explode into something that turns into something horrible yeah or can Trump sort of tone this down? Apparently, he spoke yesterday, and it was kind of a toned-down sort of uh, a rally that he's normally you remember, giving. So. He, he made the comment, I can go president. I'll go presidential whenever I want to. I'll go. <laughs> I can do it. And when I go presidential, no one will be more presidential than me, except for Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln. Abe Lincoln was the most presidential. <laughs> <laughs> there was the hat. He's up there with that big hat on. Everyone's right. like, he's the president. If Donald starts wearing that hat, the stovetop, his hat. other hat gets a lot of bad press too, because yeah. it's kind of a cheaper hat. Romney said, "All we got out of the whole deal oh. was a, tre- a cheap hat." But um, made in made in China, by the way. <laughs> probably make America great. Made in China. Made in China. Um, anyway, that was scary. That's a scary thing. It, it reminded me a lot of our producer meetings. You know Some what I mean? Some of them can get kind of get, People start getting mouthy, and then yeah. s- they started rushing me and stuff. I do appreciate you stopping I them. Do what I can. Got to yeah. protect the talent. Yeah. Well, I think he was saving his own job. That too. That's probably more. Too. I yeah. may I may have encouraged them to attack. I don't know why they're so mad. They're angry. Eh. But whatever. <laughs> you know? Get over it. I think it might be the 60 cents an hour thing. Well, they negotiated it. Actually, you negotiated no, it. No, that was Joe. Joe I'm... negotiated it with you, so now they all make sixty cents an hour. It's their fault. Yeah, that's why I wouldn't. I wouldn't bring you guys in to negotiate. Market forces. They asked, we give. Oh, it's crazy. Hey, coming up in a minute, uh, Kimberly Giles from Clarity Point Coaching will be here, and she will be talking about an event that they're they're going to be holding um, coming up called the Hopecast, which is it's going to be talking about depression. And um, and suicide, really. And we it's depression, it's it's it just can envelop you and overwhelm you. She's going to be walking us through some ideas, some tools about how to handle that a lot better. And then an upcoming hope cast uh, that they are doing in her with her organization, basically to bring hope to the world. And heaven knows. We need it, don't we? So we will be talking with Kim in just a minute. But before we do that, let's get to Terry, find out what's going on around the rest of the world. Terry? Thanks, Matt. Marco Rubio is uncomfortable with the idea of having to vote between Hillary Clinton or Donald Trump for president, despite repeated claims that he would, in fact, vote for Trump. If he became the GOP nominee, Rubio has slammed the GOP frontrunner as being a cult of personality in a New York Times Magazine article from over the weekend. We should not have cults of personality here, Rubio said. If you look at any political movement in the world where the leader says, deposit your trust in me, for I am going to lead you to salvation, that has only worked, according to my faith, one time. And it wasn't a political movement. It wasn't Trump University. If Trump is the Republican nominee, Rubio envisions calamity. He says, I think I'll... 
he'll divide the Republican Party. Uh, that uh, I think yeah, he'll lose the election, and I think there'll be a lot of regret going around for years to come. Oh yeah, but he'd vote for him. He would still vote for him. Yeah. yeah. So all this negative, but he'd still vote for him because he thinks Hillary is a worse option. Well, maybe I ought to just win. Maybe. Just step up and win Florida. Florida. You're down by 20, 30 points. Good luck. Uh, Today's Super Tuesday 3 is on Tuesday. Matt has branded it Super Tuesday 3. I don't think anybody else has. Did we look that up? No, we we did, and I don't think we found anything. So so the trademark was taken for Super Tuesday 2, but it's it's still open. I think you filed for Super Tuesday 3, correct? Yeah. So we'll see where that goes. So Super Mm -hmm. Tuesday 3, the focus will be on the winner-take-all contests in Ohio and Florida. Recent polls... The uh, what, Ohio Governor John Kasich tied with Donald Trump in Ohio. Trump leads Marco Rubio in Florida. On the Democratic side, Hillary Clinton has big leads in Ohio and Florida. Or does he? Could be. Because it might just be that all the polls are wrong. Could change. Mm-hmm. We'll see what happens. Five Amtrak rail cars are on their sides after derailing early this morning in Gray County, Kansas. The Southwest Chief train headed from L.A. to Chicago derailed some of its cars about 20 miles west of Dodge City. Just after midnight local time, Amtrak said in a statement there were an estimated 128 passengers and 14 crew members on board. Local emergency responders were on the scene. Kansas Highway Patrol say at least 20 people were hospitalized with injuries, but none were life-threatening. Federal investigators were traveling to the site of the incident, which occurred on a track owned and operated by BNSF Railway. So their train accident looks like it's serious. As they investigate what's there. <sighs> uh, new research shows that the youngest students in a classroom are most more likely to be given a diagnosis of attention deficit hyperactivity disorder than the oldest. The findings raise question about how we regard those wiggly children who just can't <laughs> seem to sit still and who also happen to be the youngest in their class. Researchers in Taiwan looked at data from 378,000 children ages 44 to 17 and found that students born in August, the cutoff month for school entry in that country, were more likely to be given the diagnosis of ADHD than students born in September. So the younger kid in the class yeah. who isn't necessarily isn't, – as mature possibly as the, the other kids in class gets that diagnosis because they misdiagnose still. his yeah. his being young for having the ADHD. Oh. So uh, the the findings are you know they emphasize the importance of considering the age of the child within the grade before diagnosing and then prescribing medication. That's good. So good, interesting development. Learning. There. Federal appeals court says a sleeping defense lawyer is almost as bad as having none at all. The U.S. Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals in Richmond, Virginia, on Friday tossed out a North Carolina man's conspiracy and racketeering convictions because his lawyer slept through the trial. Oh, no way. The judges said attorney Nikita uh, V. Mackey's sleep, uh, sleep, uh, sleepiness meant Nicholas Reagan was de- deprived of his constitutional rights to a lawyer. She slept through the trial well, and yeah, the trial and he wasn't represented. It imperative that your, attor- uh, that your attorney is awake. Now, the guy was sentenced to 30 years in jail. And his lawyer slept through the trial. Well, so. how many judges have slept through a trial? Right. See, Ben. Well, was it take a nap on in work, work day? day? No, no, like, it was just well, Friday. That was, oh, just, yeah, okay. that was just regular Friday. I was going to say if it was that day, then it may be forgivable. See, Ben, this is why you need to stay awake. Someday, if you were a lawyer, you could get sued. If you're the judge, you could be sued. If you're a pilot, and you, you sleep on your job, except there's autopilot. You know, wow. Ben, I worry about you, brother. 
You can sleep on the job when you're making ice cream. Worst thing that happens, bad batch of ice cream. That's almost worse. Well, there's worse. Carnage. Death. I worry about you. You're not going to make it past 45. I can already tell. And you're already 40. (laughs) Pretending like you're 20. Uh, We're going to take a break, folks. When we come back, Kimberly Giles will be with us from Clarity Point Coaching. And we're going to be learning about depression and an upcoming program she has to bring hope to those that might feel depressed, even suicidal. Stick with us, folks. Uh, Very, very important discussion coming up. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. In studio, the uh, the incredibly talented coach, Kim Giles, is with us from Clarity Point Coaching. She is one of the top 20 advice gurus in the country. We also gave her the title uh, Top Advice Guru in the Galaxy. Yeah, I'm really honored to have that title. That's a Thank huge you, one. That is huge. Except they did hear uh, other noises and music on the other side of the moon. I don't know if you heard that story. When the orbiter back in the day was orbiting the moon, they heard music. So there may be life there on may another be, planet, and there I may might be, have competition. Right. Mm-hmm. There okay. might be other Well, I'll enjoy coaches. it while it lasts. <laughs> but uh, go to her website, Clarity Point Coaching, where you can get all the information about everything she ever talks about, hundreds of articles she's written, thousands of people she's helped. And you're talking about depression today and, more importantly, the Hopecast. The Hopecast. So I have become really passionate in the last six months or so about suicide prevention. That's good. I'm, I'm stunned at how the numbers of suicides have risen over the last 45 years. And now in the United States, I mean, it's the third leading cause of death. Yeah. Even here in Utah, we lose someone about every 15 days to suicide. That is so sad. And really, the biggest thing that we can do to make a difference and prevent this is to start talking about suicide. And it's had such a negative stigma around it. People avoid the topic. Yeah, oh, totally. We don't talk about it. So we first got this idea of a Hopecast to shed light on this and encourage people to start talking about suicide. The most important thing you or anyone can do, because there's people around you every day yeah. that are having thoughts of suicide, ask And we have to come out and ask the question, are you having thoughts of suicide? A lot of people in your situation go there. Is that crossed your mind? Right. Get people to talk about what they're feeling and experiencing. So we want to shed light on this. By talking about it, simply. By talking about it and encouraging conversation. And one of the psychologists that's a host of the Hopecast had this brilliant idea that while we're at it, we (laughs) ought to try to break a world record. Yeah, oh, this is big deal. Because like, what, what is the number? Do you know that well, you need to hit? We've got to be live on air for sixty hours continuous. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot of talk. That is a lot of talk. <laughs> so we start Thursday morning, the seventeenth at six a.m., <laughs> and people can tune in at worldhopecast dot com, and we go till Saturday night at six o'clock. But the <laughs> the cool part is is the guests. We have over eighty guests coming on the show, Matt, and they are some of the most amazing people that on the planet. Cool. And we tried to get Matt Townsend, but he's traveling. Darn it! 
But we've got Chris Williams yep. that was Love featured Chris. in the movie Let It Go yep. with his story about losing his wife and children to a drunk driver. So he'll come in and like take an hour or two. He's going to have a whole hour to share his story and really talk to all of us about forgiveness. We're going to have Tim Ballard yep. from Operation on. Underground Railroad. He's amazing. Isn't that – I mean talk about hope. Yeah. That is a place we need to shed light on this planet to how many people are in slavery. I can't – I'm stunned that we have more people in slavery today than ever before on the planet. And yet, yeah, and yet we thought, oh, slavery is – we took ago. care of that. No, it's no. a huge problem. And, and two million children. Oh. Children. And so we've got this organization that's out there literally rescuing children mm-hmm. from sex trafficking. And he's an you've had him yeah, on your Tim's show. Amazing. He's an amazing an story incredible to hear. spirit. You ought to have him talk also about Lincoln because he oh, wrote a book, yeah. I, I believe, about, on Lincoln about Lincoln, and it's basically a PhD level dissertation on Lincoln. It's beautiful. Well, and and that's why he's called his new movie that's coming out, The Abolitionist. Yeah. And we want to take this moment to promote everybody. The movie's coming out in May, and and with all my heart, I plead with you to go see this film so that you really understand what's happening on the planet and what you can do to help. And everybody, I'm just, I'm driving everybody I know crazy (laughs) that they have to go sign up as an abolitionist on Operation Underground Railroad's website. And and an abolitionist would go... Either you would help by sponsoring or by paying money or go help. Yeah. And just help in your community. Well, and and honestly, I feel like I've got my children safe at home every night. The least I can do to help all the children that aren't safe is to donate some money every month to this organization yeah. because every dollar goes to help rescue children. Those are the stories he tells. He He goes out. He'll take teams out like of past – you know, ATF agents yeah, or secret special ops yeah. guys, and, and they go out and and basically perform stings on these sex trade organizations. It's amazing. Yeah, matter of fact, Tim's going to be calling into the Hopecast from an op. They Is are really? out there rescuing kids this week, so that's going to be amazing. amazing. But we've also got just some amazing people with stories of survival and overcoming the challenges of life, who are going to share how they made it. How they got through and all of their best tips and tricks to having more positive joy in your life and, and less discouragement and depression. is I mean, so really, you you need to just fill 60 hours of time and there's enough stories that could be hopeful. You're going to bring all of those in yeah. and meanwhile be highlighting you know, suicide prevention and uh, depression management and – Life skills. All of that. You know, 60 hours, it was so daunting, but you cannot believe oh. how many amazing people have come forward that want to be involved and share. It's going to be absolutely packed the entire 60 hours with great and content. We do 60 hours of show a month. Is that right? We do uh, 15 hours a week. Yeah, 60 hours a show a month. Yeah. That is a lot of show. And luckily, I guess you'll rotate people through. Yeah. I should clarify, I don't have to yeah. be on air the entire 60 hours. About eight hours into it, I'd be loony. Oh, it's – oh, yeah. One hour, I'm loony. Yeah. So <laughs> It's a mess. So we'll take turns. That's but cool. It'll definitely be something worth hanging around and, and so accessing cool. online. So talk about um, – because I know one of the things you get into a lot is uh, this idea of um, 
you know, putting your putting fear away and guilt and, and managing your guilt, managing your shame effectively and appropriately. But how do you uh, ha, depression that would lead to suicide? That's what's where's that coming from? I mean, some of it is just physiological, right? They might have a bad chemistry. Well, the, the studies show that about. Ninety percent of people who die by suicide were battling a, a mental illness. Yeah. And, you know, mental illness alone is something we need to have so much more conversation about because people treat it like right. it's a weakness. Taboo. Yeah. Like it's you're an illness. Right. It's an illness. It's a brain illness. And it it does affect, you know, the way we show up and the way we think and feel. And, and people assume you should have control over that. But yeah. when you have a brain illness, you don't have control over that. And so – Obviously, the first thing you need to do, if you think you may have, you know, that serious of blues is go see a doctor. Right. Absolutely seek out some some medical help. But we also find, you know, people literally lose hope, which means they don't believe things could ever get better. And I know I've been through some rough patches in my life where thoughts of not wanting to be here were a pretty regular daily thing. Right. And and and, and, you, and it's it, that just it just compounds everything because you can't just say just think of something different. No, your entire existence is now survival, and but at you're that in a hole. point, you really think your future is this black hole mm-hmm. that's never going to get better, and it might look that way. But but I can tell you, standing where I am today, things change. The one absolute constant in the universe is that things are always changing. And no matter how dark things might seem today, there is sun coming in the future and we have to hang on. Um, I've had all of my coaches, I've been encouraging them to get some assist suicide prevention training. Yeah, And it's been really interesting to learn how to talk to somebody who's having thoughts of suicide. And it's such a final decision, you know. Yeah. I mean, once Huge. you it's take it. yourself it's out, the you can't decision. go back. It's, right. it's final. And everyone, even though they may be having thoughts that that's an answer, they've also got reasons to stick around. Mm-hmm. There, there are reasons that they could have some hope. And the more we can just talk to people about what they're experiencing, validate the fact that they have every right to feel as low as they do. Yeah. We never want to devaluate. Yeah. You know what they're saying. Judge by, what they're oh, you saying, shouldn't right. feel that way. Right. Let them be. Let them have let their them emotion. Be where they are. But also ask a lot of questions about who in their life does care and support them and what things could go better, because there's always reasons to stick yeah. around. And that's what we want to help people focus oh, on. Let's take a break. That It is it is so critical. And um, and you're doing something about it. That's one of the cool things you you're stepping in. You know, I mean, you didn't have to do any of this, but you're stepping in. Well, we can all make a difference. That's right. And, and we make the difference any way we can. Kim Giles is her name. Clarity Point Coaching um, is is her website. And if you go to worldhopecast.com, uh, a great uh, source and site for, for all of the, uh, the, 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 what are we calling it? The activities that will be coming up next, this week. This week. Later this week, this weekend. Um, we'll, we'll come back, talk more with Kim about all that's going on, depression, though, suicide, and, and how the power of talking could heal and getting help could also help us heal. We'll take a break. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. We'll be right back.
back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us in studio, Kimberly Giles, president and founder of Clarity Point Life Coaching. If uh, you go to her website, Clarity Point Coaching, you can get all of her information about uh, her coaching, helping you get through fear and some of the things that stop you. She's published probably over 300 articles by now in newspapers, magazines. And uh, this weekend, she's uh, basically taking on hope, bringing hope back to the world. We're trying. By the way, the website's worldhopecast.com, worldhopecast.com. And there's, there's so many different ways that people are hurting, down and out, just struggling. You'll have 60 hours of content and, 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 you know, experts talking about different areas of life. So we're going to hit it all. We'll talk about depression, illness. We've got cancer survivors. Mm. I mean, you know, life is just right. so hard. Well, and you can learn from the people that are getting through it, that have figured it out. And like you were talking about earlier, these feelings of suicide, many people have felt those feelings. And to, to actually know what to do could help. Absolutely could help. So, you know, I've been doing a lot of research on hope getting ready for yeah. this. Uh, one of the interesting things I found back in 1991, a psychologist named Charles Snyder and his colleagues put together what something they call the hope theory. Ah. And they came up with some actual steps. They believe hope is something we can create, we can achieve yeah. in our life if you know how to how to create it. And he said there's two factors that have to be in play for you to have real genuine hope. And the first is a positive mindset belief that things can get better. And the second is actual strategies or a plan that you could see possibly could create it. Yeah. So it can't just be delusion of hope it will get better, but you've got to have some strategies in place, right? right? right. So I, I, I have a couple suggestions for everybody listening today. If you When you get down, the first thing I want you to understand is that however you're feeling right now about a situation in your life it's coming from a perspective. You're looking at the situation a certain way, and then your perspective's creating those feelings. Right. Well, that perspective may not be your only option. There may be other ways to look at this thing. And often, if you can get some other input from other people that can help you look at it from a different perspective, it can completely change how you feel. And one of the reasons I was so excited about Dr. Snyder's research, Matt, is he found people who have hope have a learning mindset about life. And basically, mm. they see life as a classroom, which is what I'm always teaching. Yeah. And if, if you take the perspective that life is school and everything that happens to you is here to teach you things and make you stronger, smarter, wiser, more loving, everything is a lesson, often that's a very different perspective that's it. just there. Yeah. And and if you see the struggle in your life as here with a purpose that serves has meaning right. in your life to help you become better, you suffer less yeah. than you do if it's purposeless and, well, and, and bad I, luck. And, yeah, you, and then you can say, "Oh, okay, I hate what's happening to me, but what are you teaching me?" Yeah, Which is well, almost you, you know, if you're looking to your God and you have that belief system, that does expand your life to not just being on Earth. It might be preparing well, it you for something later. Can pull us out of that victim mindset where poor me, bad luck, life just hates me, right. and this happened. But now you see the universe as more of a wise teacher that's yeah. actually conspiring to serve you through this hard thing. Yeah, it's making you stronger, better, and wiser. That's great. And that's how that's how life works. Um, 
I also think it's really important that you make note of and celebrate every small win. Right. Because sometimes the wins are, I got out of bed. Yeah. You know? I and, washed my and hair. And I went for a walk. Right. And that was, that was my win for today. So make sure you celebrate every small thing. Um, Paul, Dr. Paul Jenkins, who's going to be on the show, always recommends to help people think more positive is to take note of how it could be worse. Yeah, it could get so much worse. So much worse. And I find if I talk to people who are struggling with other types of problems, I quickly realize that maybe I'm okay with my <laughs> with mine. Yeah. We you also want to surround yourself with really positive, determined people, people who are optimistic. You don't want to hang out with Eeyore because that'll definitely just make things worse. Um, I also think you ought to spend time outdoors. There's something about being out in nature that is really healing to our soul. And that'll lift you. Yeah, just let some sunlight hit your body. A little vitamin D might. Oh, it does you so much good. And then when it comes to developing a plan or a strategy, I really think you want to find people who've survived the very challenges you're going through. People who've made it through, interview them, find out what they did, what was their strategy or plan that got them through. Mm. And the more time you can spend with those people, your your viewpoint will just open up with all kinds of ideas of what you could do. That's such great advice. You know, there's things we can do. We can make a plan. And if you don't do it, then then you just have to ruminate. You have to just keep thinking. In your same right. negative track. And then I know you and I talk a lot about encouraging people to get professional yeah. help. Yeah. We, as, as coaches, we always get people when things are so bad – and we're like, why didn't you seek out some help right. way sooner than this? Because this problem would have been a lot easier to solve a uh, couple of years ago mm-hmm. than it is now. And sometimes it's complex, right? Because it could be situational. Absolutely. It could be hormonal. It could be you know chemical. It could be just pure a mental health issue. It could be perspective or it could be all of the above. And so you might need more than one helper. Oh, you know what I mean? You yeah, might absolutely. need a – I mean, it's it's complicated, and sometimes we like. Well, I tried taking that one thing, that one and thing, that didn't and work. Didn't change me. Well, sometimes it won't. No, and even you know, looking for a counselor, or a coach, you often have to try a few people yeah, totally. before you find someone you connect uh-huh. with, because the magic is yeah. really in the right person for you. That's right, and because it's like an art, right? It's everyone wants to pretend like it's a science, but it is kind of an art. It's an it? art. It yeah. ends up being – and some art is some art you relate to and some you don't. Absolutely. It's crazy. So, guys, don't wait. Yeah. This is Call a big – Call someone. Get some help. Well, and I appreciate that you're doing that because this is – this isn't going away. Hopelessness isn't going to just go away. No. It has to be the kind The world of, is so hard. Yeah. We're all going to struggle. Right. And the, ro- the role of hopeful and hopeless might rotate too. So you might be down today, but – Learn your way through it, and you'll be up and helping someone tomorrow. Yeah, the sun will come out. It's cool. So please, if you're struggling, join us this Thursday through Saturday. Where do they go? Worldhopecast.com. You can register so that you're you're ready and you've got the links to get on and, and listen and record some of this. It's going to be some of the most amazing, positive That's great. content oh, you'll yeah. ever hear. And, so please join us. And – it, so if, you don't have to be hopeless to join. You could be a hopeful person, but share share the information to the people around you because somebody around you may need the lift. Well, all of us need to be inspired right? and, yeah. and lifted. So and everybody keep out learning. there listening, get it out there. Share uh, the information. This Thursday, 
Starts Thursday at 6 a.m. to Saturday at 6 p.m. Oh, there you go. <laughs> 60 plus hours. Kim Giles, thank you so much. Again, everybody, go to her website, claritypointcoaching.com, and go check out worldhopecast.com Thursday morning, 6 a.m. It's going to take off then. We'll take a break, folks. Uh, it's talking about hope. We'll go be visiting our good buddies down at BYU Sports Nation. Find out uh, what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us, friends. This is the Matt Townsend Show. And the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I don't know. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, this song makes me sad. I don't know why Ben's playing it, but we're going to shoot it down to our good buddies because I'm there for them. I'm not just some dad that just went away. I'm there for my boys at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. What's up, Matty? Hello, How are you? you? I miss you guys. I want you to know I'm here for you whenever you need me. Oh, we know. You're here for three hours every morning. <laughs> three hours. On the air. On the hey, what'd you think of the uh, the the big NCAA? Uh, what do they call them? Brackets. The selection show. The, the selection. By the way, but first wait, of all, the show or the bracket? Well, let's talk show for a second. Some people were really bored. Yeah, it, was, it, it took, bombed. It man. took too long. Yeah. I was in I was in church at the beginning of it, so I was like, "Yeah, delay, delay, delay." <laughs> so then I got home and could watch some of it. Yeah. Were were you in the end? It, it, why was it such a bomb? It seems like this it took is too long to reveal the bracket. Yeah, you yeah. you can't do that, especially when they're already releasing them. Someone yeah. someone was releasing them anyway. Reveal the brackets in thirty minutes and then spend the next half an hour breaking it down. Mm-hmm. There was a leaked yeah. There was a leaked bracket that ended up being the bracket. Mm-hmm. So the NCAA is actually doing an investigation into it. Have you ever had a leaky bracket? I hate le- having a leaky bracket. It's the worst. Now, it's it funny that it worst. got leaked because it was like, just get to it. We can all see it. <laughs> Make I sure this out. is it. Yeah. But see, especially I, I was interested because you guys know how to put on a great show. So you would have come right out, shown the bracket up front. Here it is. Boom, 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 boom. Hammer through it fast. Then talked in depth later. Then react. Here's the thing. Here's what we think about it. You don't. Okay. I So I produce uh, i used to produce a lot more but i produce the pre and post game show for football mm. so in that i get the idea of wanting to keep the audience i totally understand that but you cannot insult the intelligence of the audience no you and, can de- and, you and can deep sell obs- elements like yes. hey find out who charles barkley has in his final four coming up like people will stay around right. to watch that yeah they want to see that int- you could go intro break region one break two break three break four break Okay, mm-hmm. that, it's been thirty minutes. You got all the mother. Hey, we're going to talk to this coach. We're going to break it down. We're going to our picks. Blah blah. Yes, they they were so delayed, and it was really annoying. It bombed. Yeah. Have you and done then there your was a leaked bracket? So I'm like, peace. I only <laughs> stayed in to just make sure that that was correct. But people are mad. Like I haven't seen people so mad about this show since the, when you went to the Trump rally. Exactly. Week. It reminded me of a Trump rally. <laughs> what uh what do you On think? Twitter it was. Any surprises about the brackets? Anything, you know, that just Yeah, there's always a couple teams that shouldn't get in that do like Syracuse should not have, but Tulsa, they did. Michigan. Michigan. Yeah. Saint, oh. So St. Mary's did not. They were on the bubble and then they end up being off the bubble the big despite one that only losing six was, times. Yeah, everybody was kind of freaking out about was St. Bonaventure. 
who had an RPI like 27 or 29. And, and wow. then we back up and we're like, we're talking about a school named St. Bonaventure. What a Bonnie's. <laughs> What's going on right now? <laughs> um, St. What, who? What was BYU's RPI? 76. It was, it doesn't matter. Oh. 76. But they got a two seed in the NIT, which means if they win on Wednesday in their first game, they are guaranteed a second home game. Well, if they choose. If they choose to do so. Hmm. Yeah. They're not forced to. BYU can say, you know what? Hey, other team, you want a house? And they go, yeah, okay. okay. They would do that. But BYU, if BYU wins the first round, so the first game Wednesday, Eastern ESPNU uh, against UAB, Alabama, Birmingham. If BYU wins that, it's going to be Friday or Monday. Probably Monday, we're, we're guessing. Yes. Wow. Is this exciting for you guys? Me more it's, so than Jerem. Here it is. Yes? <laughs> That was a yes with a question. It's, it's fun to have BYU basketball still playing. Yeah, that's cool. I would prefer that it's in the NCAA tournament over anything else. Sure. I'm with you. But, it's yeah, it's fun. It'll be in the Merit Center. It's, it's cool. But let's be real. What you're really excited about today is Pi Day. Three, yeah, Pi Day. Right? Mm-hmm. There was you, a kid at my high school named James Hobbs. He knew the first 50 digits of Pi. Remember, right? That's, why? I remember his name because he why? did that. He's why? carving out a niche for himself. Yeah. <laughs> I ran into him uh, in Sao Paulo, Brazil, in the uh, missionary training center on my LDS mission, and I, I saw him and I said, "James Hobbs, what what are the first five digits of pi?" And he then rattled them off for me, and I said, "Three point one four one five nine two six five." That was the end of our conversation. The rest of our lives. Isn't it wow. three point four one five nine? Yeah, three point three point one four one five nine two six five three five eight nine seven nine three two. The first four digits, not five. This is a um, this this is this is a number that the only reason it matters to me is because the word pi is being used. But yeah, I have I a feeling. Of, I think of apples. I, I do too. Numbers. Do you guys go a la mode with your pie? Generally, yes. Mm. I go bailamo. Let the rhythm take you over. Bailamo. Oh, yo quiero. Bailamos. Bailamos. Is, is that is that a song or is that a band? Yes, that that is. Isn't it Enrique Iglesias? It's Jerem's go-to. Isn't it Henry Church? Didn't Henry Church? That was Jerem's go-to song when he dated in high school. Oh my gosh! No, it was Mandy Moore. I want to be with you. That was that song. <laughs> What's worse? Really? Yeah, that is worse. <laughs> Mandy Moore. I want to be with be with you. Is the NIT I of love be songs? With you. Oh, I will always man. love you. Are you guys going to break into song tournament? Start, st- start singing. If only for the night to be the one to hold you. Don't tight. encourage him. Don't encourage him. I'm Come gonna on. saxophone this if you no, keep, keep <laughs> Oh man. Okay. Well, let's change the subject then. Um, it's also Potato oh. Chip Day. Every day is Potato Chip Day in America. How about uh, it's also National Workplace Napping Day. Oh, is it really? Yeah, we both, I can get we, on board for that. We both believe firmly in workplace nap. Like, oh there's yeah, a yes. green room. There's a couch in there. I need yes. a twenty or thirty minute nap. Boom, baby. Absolutely, especially in the fall. Wow. Uh, you know what? I've been trying to. I've been trying to hold off. I just sleep under my desk, but there yeah. is a green room downstairs with a nice, comfy couch. Spencer can fall asleep in his chair, which is a gift. Like mm-hmm. I cannot. I wish that I could. Honestly, yeah. Sometimes I'll walk into our office and the the lights off. I'll turn on the light and then Spencer will move like I wasn't sleeping. <laughs> what? What are you? Like, what? You were sleeping. Just own it. You know that. Oh, it's um, okay. I do own it now. Yeah. The yeah. longer you're in the longer you're in the business world, I can sleep with my eyes open. <laughs> I can sleep standing up like a horse. 
Don't you sway back and forth, though? I've seen you in those meetings. You're That's swaying. That's the best. Watching someone fall asleep. Like, yeah. my kid will fall asleep. I'll just watch. It's, like, the most entertaining thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, they put their head in their cereal. My two-and-a-half-year-old little girl loves sour cream and onion Pringles. It's the most oh, random thing. She yeah, eats yeah. more than anyone. She fell asleep the other day eating them. Like, middle. Like, she's, like, halfway through a bite and, like, gone. <laughs> It's like it, it puts her to sleep. That's great. We National have to use chip day. We have I to use Benadryl. I need a nap today. We'll do it today. Today you're fine to do it. I'm pretty sure uh, management wouldn't care. I would. My wife's flight got delayed three hours last night. Oh. I picked her up at the airport at two o'clock. And it, yeah. Plus you're still reeling from the the time change, right? Oh, that's true. Yeah. Reeling. That's yeah. true. The daylight saving. So I was there. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. we got up an hour earlier. See? Yeah. So lagged. Yes. You're all lagged, dude. Hey, what's on your show today? You guys still going to do a show because it's Pi Day, or were you just going to sleep Oh, through? yeah. We talked about the NIT, man. Yeah, you're going to do that. National Tournament, where BYU is, where they sit, what it means, what are your expectations for them. We're going to talk to the head coach of the UAB Blazers. Mm. What does he think about the matchup with BYU? Okay. Coach Lewis, BYU assistant coach. How motivated are the Cougars going into this tournament? Lexi Rydalch, the women's player of the year in the West Coast Conference. It's selection Monday for yeah, them Yeah, the women's team finds out where they're 7 going. 7 Eastern on Espen. Oh, this on, on Espen? Mm-hmm. Mm. Espen the magazine. Okay. <laughs> I've never heard it referred to as that, but that's a, that's a great way to refer to it. A lot of people just say ESPN. Espen. Espen. Mm. Yeah. Okay. The more you know, man. Well, ESPN. It's, it's going to be a great show. I'm glad we learned about uh, Jerem's dating music. That's great. Kind of helps us all understand I more. Be with you. Candace Knutson. <laughs> the one that got away. Oh, Candy. You could have had me. Anyway. Okay, guys, have a great show today. Thank you. Knock them dead. Have a great pie day and a great potato chip day. Goodbye, Matthew. Thank you, Bane. <laughs> That's Bane with his head in the pillow as he's taking his nap down on the couch. Hey, uh, interesting, interesting stuff, folks. Um, Oh, man. We've got heroes coming up. We always like to end with a hero story. I also want to tell you, how about this crazy story? 35-pound tumor removed from a woman's abdomen. Can you imagine that? For more than eight years, Irianita Rojas Rasma carried around a tumor in her abdomen that she never thought she'd get rid of. But doctors in Lima, Peru, finally removed the cancerous growth, which had developed into a 35-pound mass from the 22-year-old woman during a February 20th surgery. They say they're optimistic. She's well on her way to recovery. The tumor was approximately 20 inches in diameter. Dr. Luis Garcia Bernal, the director of, of Archbishop uh, Loaza National Hospital says the growth removed was removed during a three-hour process and procedure. Uh, it, it's as if she were pregnant. But <laughs> twice this. Ben, you okay, bud? Ben, you okay? Okay, sorry. Sorry. I think I'll be okay. Okay, I, I won't. I won't um, read anymore. But she's doing better, and she's she's healthy. It, it's kind of like she was having a baby, but twice the size. Three times the size, really. Ugh. Anyway, congrats to her. Also, uh, police in New Jersey are looking for a Roomba bandit. Police are asking for help locating three people who stole Roomba vacuum cleaners from a store on Route 46. 
The alleged thefts occurred at 6.16 p.m. to be exact on February 19th at Bed Bath & Beyond, according to police who said police dispatchers were initially contacted by the store. Officer McGinnis went to the store to investigate and was told that three suspects collaborated in the shoplifting. A woman, a man, ran out of the store's front door carrying multiple Roomba vacuum cleaners. While a third suspect held the doors open to assist the two fleeing suspects. I think reports show that one of them was a pink cat of some sort. A pink cat with a long tail? Yeah, like a panther. Yeah. Ooh, Allegedly. Pink, pink panthers you got to watch out for. Who steals a Roomba? Man, our house is messy. Honey, we're going to go get some Roombas. That's crazy. Hey, as you know, we always like to end the show on a uh, hero story. Our hero, and you may have seen this in the news over the week uh, weekend, a father prevents a baseball bat from hitting his son in the face. This is incredible if you've seen the picture. If not, we'll post it on our uh, Twitter feed, at Dr. Matt Show. Eight-year-old Landon Cunningham of Ocala said his father is a hero who saved his life after his dad stopped a baseball bat from hitting him in the face. The, the photos show his dad reaching over and stopping the bat while the boy – I mean, it was literally right in front of the boy's face. Um, the uh, a photographer caught, captured the picture, and uh, his dad is um, – is a firefighter, a rescuer, Captain Sean Cunningham, stopped a flying baseball bat from striking his son in the face. Landon Cunningham explained, this is a baseball bat that hit me right here. The thing was flying, he said. Uh, He told Fox 35's David Williams as he held up the bat, it went across like that. I think it was doing it, and my dad blocked it like that, and he acted out the whole scene. When you see the picture, though, you see everybody around diving, grimacing, Making all of these faces, but Dad just reached over, protected his son's face, and uh, stopped a flying bat that would have hit him square in the face. Anyway, that's just what dads do, right? The 37-year-old father stopped the bat in its tracks. Ashley Cunningham, Landon's mother, said, I definitely think he had the hand of God, a guardian angel, whatever you want to call it, watching him over that day. Absolutely. The photos have gone viral, and... uh, Mom said she got sick when she saw it. As a mother, it's a very scary picture. In all, uh, you know, a lot of stuff couldn't have gone could have gone wrong there. So, Dad, you're the hero of the day, Captain Sean Cunningham, Marion County Fire Rescue Firefighter. You did it. And again, everybody sometimes just needs a hand, whether it's a bat or just life. Everybody needs a hand up and to make their life better. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. More ideas, more tools to help you find the good in the world. Come see us again tomorrow, and uh, we'll talk again then. Until then, watch each other's backs. Look out for bats. We're out of here. Talk to talk again tomorrow.